the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Oh, it's a Monday. And it has been thus far today for me a Monday. (laughs) I won't get into all of it, but it's been a Monday. All kinds of crazy stuff going on. But what's not crazy is Jan Morgan made it here today to be <laughs> on you? the show. She Always got here about two minutes after uh, after two. She comes around. I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> Always great to be with you, Dave. It's Always. great to have you here. Yes, we, thank you. Uh, we appreciate you coming in. Reggie's here too today. Always good to see mm-hmm. him. So uh, how's it been going? Awesome. You know, it is so exciting to see all of the people around this state, uh, many of them for the first time in their lives, getting engaged in the political process and saying, you know what, I care about our state government and I don't like what I'm seeing. And so they're stepping up to the plate and getting in the, in the trenches with us. And that's exciting to me, regardless of how this, this race turns out. You know, because I have said from the very beginning, Dave, that this is really not a race between Jan and Asa. This is really a race between the people and big government that's the way i perceive it right and, and that's the way so many the the thousands of people who are behind me are are seeing it too and that's why they're in the fight it's not about jan it's about getting control of their state government well i'll tell you that up in the cabot area mm-hmm. a bunch of signs have popped up not the little ones not just the yard signs but i've seen some big ones on the sides of the road even more than that billboards are popping up everywhere i just saw another one on facebook today that's in magnolia arkansas and i I don't know who these people are doing this. They're, you know, they're not contacting our campaign, but they're, we were told there are what, what, five now in Fort Smith. And as far as I can tell, just from what I've seen on social media, there are about 50 around the state. And those are the ones we know about that we've seen. Right. But billboards, not signs, billboards. Well, how do you, how do you feel when you see that kind of stuff? I feel excited that, um, once again, that regardless of how this race turns out, how the vote turns out, that my mere presence in this race has been a good thing for Arkansas, Dave. It has to. It, anytime you get the people paying attention to what's going on in their state government, and my presence has done that because people said, well, wait a minute, we already have a Republican governor, so what is she doing? And so they're looking at it and saying, oh, I see the difference between what he says his version is of what our government should be and what she says. And and so it's making people pay attention and decide one way or another what they want. And that's always good for the state. Well, I know that you've had great crowds wherever you have. Everywhere have we spoken. go. Packed houses. And that's yeah. good. That's, yeah. uh, I'm glad to see that people are, how do I say, they've, they've gotten involved. You know what? And I think race. it's because they uh, they feel it in their pocketbooks, too. They they see that things aren't, you know, the way that our state government and leadership portrays us and how we are in this state. There's a great disparity between what he says we are and, and what the rest of us are actually living in. And so people are paying attention to that. And uh, I like that. But also people who've never been involved in the political process, Dave, here's what is exciting to me. You know, for decades, it's been about the Republican Party and the Democrat Party. The establishment ends of both parties have been in control of the whole political process. But now we're seeing, and this didn't start with Jan, this started with the Trump thing, okay? People who've who aren't members of the Republican committees in various counties, they're holding their own events for me. And that's been confusing for the the, uh, my opponent's team because they're saying, 
who's doing this event for you? This is not a Republican event. And we say, well, but it's Republicans there, but there are people that don't align with the Republican Party anymore. Uh, so that's been good. I think it's going to be good for the party. It, anytime you have a good primary, it's a purification process for the for the party, whether it's Democrat or Republican. And we all know that we need that from time to time, just like we need the same thing with our government. All right. Eight two three zero nine six five. That's the phone number. Eight two three. 0965. If you're looking to uh, talk to Jan, you want to ask her a question, that's the number. If you're watching on Facebook right now, use that number. You can be, you can get in, ta- uh, in touch with her and talk to her there as, mm-hmm. as well. Since you go out and you take plenty of questions at these different locations, What's the major questions that you're running into? What's your top three? The the top three are the very top three that are also ended up on my policy platform, Dave, because, you know, from the very beginning, what we did was not go out and talk to the people. I went and listened to the people. We Mm -hmm. had town hall style meetings. And the top three things were taxes. First and foremost, taxes and government spending. They just keep looking at our government spending continuing to increase year after year after year. And with Republicans in control, that's not how it's supposed to be. And then the taxes, the, the fact that we are just being taxed into poverty. People are saying, I, you know, I don't care what anybody says about what they've done on taxes. I'm telling you, my taxes are not lower. They're higher. And then when our tax reform commission is looking at when they put out that long list of areas that they're considering repealing current exemptions, Dave, those are areas that, that affect people's pocketbooks. They're areas that like the grocery tax, like the prescriptions tax, like the sales tax, holiday tax. I mean, that is that that one exemption alone. There are people that can't buy school clothes for their kids and school supplies without that exemption. That saves hundreds of dollars. And and when you're making it paycheck to paycheck, hundreds of dollars uh, makes a difference. And so those are the things that people are looking at and saying, we just can't keep doing this. That was the number one issue. The number two issue has been roads and highways and infrastructure. Um, you know, we, we've got a few cities that are doing real well with that. And it, and people around the rest of the state say, we've been ignored and we're, we're dying here. Please help us. Economic development, you know, entire areas, the little downtown areas are boarded up and closed up in so many of our cities. With the exception of three or four cities in Arkansas, our cities are suffering and, and they feel like they're the stepchildren. And I've tried to make them understand that as governor of Arkansas, I'm concerned about all of Arkansas, not just the areas where the biggest political donors are located. All right. Because we all stand to benefit when Arkansas as a whole is in better shape economically. Okay, so those are those are the main areas that people have been directing their questions. They are, but there's so many Department of Human Services. There are so many uh, families that lives have been destroyed because of kids being taken out of their homes. Our education teachers around this state are Dave. I don't know. I, I probably haven't even told you, but I've had private meetings with groups of teachers all right no you haven't around the state okay well i have anytime i have a speaking engagement in in different areas of the state i've also taken that opportunity to have private meetings with groups of say teachers or business owners and teachers are telling me that they they're still in the fight they they don't like being at the bottom of education and they're telling me that the reason why is not because they aren't wanting to try and not because they don't care, but it's because of big government overreach and, and programs from our State Department of Education that are that are um, excessive and, and tying them down with too much government paperwork and bureaucratic paperwork and that Common Core has been a disaster. And so I think that, you know, Jan Morgan's approach to governor in on this issue uh-huh. is going to be dealing with the problem from the bottom up instead of the top down you know i'm going to be looking at teachers and, and listening to what teachers are telling us need to be done rather than listening to a department of education head all right your time to talk to jam morgan a two three oh nine six five i know you're out there if i gave away something free right now the phone lines <laughs> would go absolutely crazy so 
I'm going to open the lines up for you to call and ask questions during this hour, 823-0965. Don't forget about Sonny's Auto Salvage, your number one choice for recycled auto parts. How's that work for you? Let, you, let me give you a perfect example. I had an engine go out uh, two weeks ago on my 2009 Corolla. I don't want to buy a new car. I don't want a car. I don't want a car uh, payment. So I went and saw R.D. over at Sonny's. He found me an engine out of the, one of those well-maintained total loss vehicles, put it in the car, cost me under 3 k and I got a three-year parts and labor and unlimited mileage warranty on it. So for three years, I don't have to worry. Gave it to my son and daughter, uh, my son-in-law and daughter, so that uh, they'd have their first car while, uh, you know, after getting married. And so they're set now for three years. They don't have to worry about anything. You can do that, save money, just by calling 982-7451, Again, that's Sonny's Auto Salvage, your number one choice for recycled auto parts. All right, back with you, Dave Ellswick Show. Let's go talk to Alan North Little Rock. Of course, uh, Jan Morgan is here in the studio. Alan, your question. Yes, I'm wondering when they, they dropped the tax for the veterans, they had to add another tax to offset it, but it didn't offset it. It put in more into the coffers than what the veterans needed. Yes, sir, it did. Where do they go with the rest of that? Why don't they use that to offset the grocery tax also or part of it? Well, sir, to answer your question, uh, first of all, there should not have been other taxes attached to. There should not have been tax increases attached to that that military retirement tax cut for veterans. I support anything that we can do for our veterans. In fact, as governor, what I want to do is look at why we're down in the lower 30s and 40s in rank regarding uh, the best places to live uh, if you're a veteran and look at what it takes to get us in the top five because I think we can do better than that for veterans. But, you know, the, the bottom line is the whole tax thing that the governor has been involved in has been a shell game for the people. Yes, he gave he, he exploited the veterans in order to get those tax increases he attached it to a tax cut for veterans. I think that was uh, appalling. I, I hate that whole uh, concept. But look, as far as the grocery tax, it, it, we should not be looking at ways to repeal current exemptions that our citizens have, all right? Uh, we already have enough money That's coming into our state thing. coffers. Yes, the whole tax... What Jan Morgan would be doing is looking at what the original purpose of that tax reform commission was, which was it was supposed to be about reforming an egregious tax code, okay? Not looking for more ways to get more money off the backs of the people. It's not just the grocery tax. There's a whole long laundry list of current exemptions that that tax reform commission is looking at repealing that our governor should have stepped up immediately and said, look, guys, I don't know why we're looking at this. We're not supposed to be looking for more ways to get tax dollars out of the people. We're supposed to be looking at more ways to cut taxes. That's what Republicans do. And Jan Morgan, as governor, would not allow them to even be looking at a grocery tax, nor a tax on prescriptions, nor a tax on used cars or uh, the sale of baby chicks or the taxing, repealing tax exemptions that our farmers, uh, equipment that our farmers use to do their jobs. I mean, there's just a a long list of things there that we shouldn't even be looking at. And the fact that the governor has not stopped that speaks volumes about uh, where he's going with his leadership in the next term if if we do not replace him. So what you can expect from Jan Morgan is we're not going to be looking at more ways to get more money out of the people. We're going to be looking at ways to cut government spending. Therefore, we don't need as many tax dollars as we're already getting. And therefore, we can work toward eliminating the state income tax. Well, I under, don't understand. It's got to be carefully crafted language again. How do we come up with an exemption? I thought it was a 
getting rid of the tax. Well, there's there's currently an exemption, sir. There's already an exemption. And what he's looking at is repealing that exemption. Uh, Now, the governor has said, because of my presence in this race, in all fairness, I'm going to tell you that he has stepped up. And I feel like we forced him in this corner. He has stepped up and said publicly he does not support a grocery tax. All right. The problem is what the governor says in campaign mode versus what he does are probably going to be two different things. I don't trust him, which is why I'm in this race. Why, Why are we why? Why has he even allowed that to be on the list? Why didn't he from day one tell his his tax reform commission that's not what we're going to be about? We're not going to look for more ways to get more tax money out of the people. Okay. Amen. Yes, sir. All right. We appreciate your call, Alan. Thank you very much. Eight two three zero nine six five. Were you call in to ask the questions today? of uh, Jan Morgan running for the nomination to run for governor in the Republican Party. The the final vote will be on the 22nd. You can vote now because early voting is underway. Keep mm-hmm. that keep that in mind. Uh, let's not get away from grocery tax. Yes, sir. Okay, here's one. Uh, while Asa finally said he's against the grocery tax hike, are you concerned that the task force moves all discussion to the day after the primary? And would she veto a plan to raise the grocery tax on Arkansans? I will veto plans to raise taxes, period. We Once again, we do not need to be raising taxes on our people. Our people are among the most heavily taxed in America, Dave. And yet we are also among the most poor by income. So uh, we, we don't have a revenue problem in Arkansas. We have a spending problem. And what I want to do day one is get in there and put a cap on spending and start doing an audit of our agencies and looking at where we've got uh, waste, wasteful spending and duplication of services. Without cutting, cutting essential services, I believe, I believe with all my heart, based on what I've been told by some of our leading senators who have their hands all over that budget, is that we have hundreds of millions of dollars in waste, that we don't need to be looking at ways to raise taxes on the people of the state. And, and that's just not the direction jam morgan wants to go all right let's go back to the phones let's see who we got here okay we've got david who's out of benton yes, hey david how are you say hi to jam morgan i'm great dave how are you hey jam how are you hey i'm doing great thanks for calling sure thing i just want to let you know i went early voted for you uh, saw a lot of supporters there everyone i seem to talk to is behind you so you know i, I think it's going to be a surprise for uh, the current establishment. But what I was calling about was to say, I work for a local nursery. I deliver a lot of product uh, all across the state. Mm -hmm. And everywhere I go, when I see support for you, it's in the middle class areas, uh, you know, blue collar workers. Right. And uh, I'm very proud of that. And and as you should be. Mm -hmm. And when I do go into upper class areas, I mean, I'm talking like high end areas. That's where I see more support for the current establishment. And that just kind of tells me that, you know, some people know what side the bread is buttered on and mm-hmm. it doesn't smell right to me. So I just want to tell you, keep up the good work. You campaign fiercely and you're out there, you're talking to the people. And just want to let you know you got a lot more support than you may see out front. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, we, we've said from day one, yeah. and, and we've stuck with that, Dave. Um, we refuse to meet with, in, in fact, I got a phone call this morning, a really strange phone call, message on my on my cell phone from someone who said they were with this organization and that they had information related to ASA that they felt like I needed for this campaign, and they wanted to meet with me, and there would be a large sum of money coming my way if I would sit down and meet with them. And, of course, I did not return the call. I had my 
campaign manager returned the call. He listened to them, and, and then we basically just said, look, we're not interested in, in hearing what you have to say. If there is any corruption there, you need to take it to the proper authorities. And anything that you have to say to Jan Morgan, if it comes, if it's money with strings attached, then that's part of the problem. And we've said from the very beginning, one of the problems is um, bought and paid for career politicians. You know, in, in our state government, and we've made we have taken very strong steps to make sure that doesn't happen. And as a result, Dave, you know, my campaign is run on pennies, mere pennies. I mean, you know, the governor's people have made fun of of our uh, our campaign budget, and and if we win, by the way, uh, the guy from Benton needs to know this. If we win this race, it will be historical. It will be monumental. Here is a campaign that's raised what one hundred thirty thousand, maybe, in a statewide governor's race who has not bought a single ad on radio, TV, or newspaper, who has not had a single paid employee on the campaign staff. And it will truly be a grassroots citizens' revolution uh, of historical magnitude. And and, I, and I'm glad that we've kept it that way. You know, we, we don't have huge money donors. And the few people who, who are uh, in the upper economic elites who have donated to our campaign have done so publicly and, and legally the way anybody else would. And some of those people are now going through Department of Finance audits. Uh, you know, people have been retaliated against who have supported our campaign openly. And I think that's another reason that people have been afraid to donate. And that's OK. That's one of the reasons I'm in this race, so that that comes to a halt. We don't need to be using our state government and government agencies to as a bully pulpit. And people don't need to be afraid of the government. The government needs to be afraid of the people. All right. Let's take Larry. And Larry, how are you? Welcome to the Dave Ellswick Show. It's Larry Witherspoon. And uh, your question for Jan Morgan. Good afternoon, and thank you, Jan. I've been to the range a couple of times, and y'all are doing a great job down there. I'll say that first of all. I love it. Well, thank you. Second of all, so here's here's kind of my big thing. When Tim Griffin was in Congress, uh, and I was talking with him one time, he said the problem with budgets for the different departments is they get down to the end of the year, and all of a sudden they're going, hey, I've got another 100 bucks." I need to spend this $100 and then add 20 to it so next year they'll raise my budget. Right. And so my question to you would be, uh, here in our state, we I know the same thing's going on. So mm-hmm. can you, or once y'all get a budget set, each department has its budget, mm-hmm. can you run it to where if you go over your budget, we're going to find some fire you and find someone who can stay within budget. That's kind <laughs> of one question on top of the other one. Or... If you come under budget, then you'll get the same budget next year, but look at the surplus money you'll have for next year to work with in case. Mm-hmm. Is there any way you can control that? And uh, and would would Tim uh, – and the other thing is, uh, is Tim going to be uh, your, two, your lieutenant governor, or are you going to be looking for a different lieutenant governor? Well, that, that's, that's going to be up. That's decision. up to the people. <laughs> that's up to the people. That has nothing to do yeah, with Yeah, that's me. up to the people. He'll he's up for re-election. <laughs> yeah, I think Tim and I will work together just fine. Uh, you know, I I don't think there's going to be a, a surplus issue in state agencies because one of the w- things that we want to do right off the top is go in and do an audit of state agencies and look at where we've got wasteful uh, wasteful spending and duplication of services and you know and there's a lot of that I, I have been told. Uh, from people that are in the agency. So that's what we're going to be looking at. And I think that you're going to see a much leaner, meaner state running government machine than you've ever seen in state history without cutting essential services. We want to do we want to do right by the people. But at the same time, uh, we don't want to be throwing money away just because we we got too much from the people. All right. We got uh, a break coming up. We'll be back after the break. Take more calls. We've got every line full except for one. 
If you call 823-0965, we can get you in and get you in line and ready to ask your question. For Jan Morgan, who is joining the Dave Ellswick Show today, and uh, she'll be back in just about five minutes. Back with you, Dave Ellswick Show. I got to tell you a story. I was out uh, Sunday, or Saturday it was. It wasn't Sunday, it was Saturday. Saturday, I went to get my uh, strawberries from Holland Bottom Farms for Mother's Day because mm-hmm. I had to cut them up, get them all ready so we could have strawberry shortcake for the three moms that were together where I was at, at my daughter's. She's a mom. My other daughter's a mom. Of course, my wife is a mom. So right. we're having big, uh, big celebration for that. I have never seen the lines like I've seen that I saw them there that day. They were at least 60 deep. It was incredible. I was halfway there. They ran out. We had to wait for another truck to show up. Oh, and no. that took about 15 minutes. They show up. When I got mine, which I got two two flats of it, mm-hmm. uh, that's 10 quarts. And I and I was walking around. There were two buckets of strawberries left, and they were waiting for another truck to come in. They were going like hotcakes. And mm-hmm. all my advertising has succeeded, Reggie. It's succeeded. People are eating Holland Bottom strawberries. strawberries. And if you're not eating them, why not? I'm just telling you, they're really good. Uh, If you can't get out to Cabot to get them, go uh, to the van in Searcy on East Race Street. That's right across from the hospital at the Conoco Station. Also right here in uh, Little Rock, Chennault Parkway and Kirk, right across from the Kroger. Those are the two big ones outside of Cabot where you can get Holland bottom strawberries, and all I can say is, mm, they're I wish they really would good. To, Arkansas, to hot springs, yeah, we, we, no, we they need, need to be down there. I'm <laughs> yes. telling you, they make some strawberries. It's good stuff. Larry uh, Odom, who started that farm, just did fantastic with them. He really did. All right, let's get back to the phones. Jan Morgan is here. She's ready to talk to you. And Jean's out on the road. Jean, how are you? And Jan's here to hear your question. Oh, Dan, Dan, I'm a, I was I was calling about property tax, and I want you to know I'm going to vote either way, but still, yes. <laughs> I got a question about about you know your property tax. If someone like me and others that that worked hard and paid for their place and paid it off, and then like the property tax, any improvements you do, they just charge you more taxes. But I I just think it was kind of unfair that you never own your property actually, because if you don't pay your taxes two or three years. They just come in and sell it out from under you. You're exactly right, and I don't like that either, Gene. I, I, you know, I'm a citizen. I own land, and I understand completely what you're talking about. And, and so you never really own it. it. It seems like you do, but you never do. Uh, you know, and, and we need some reform in that area, definitely. We, I, I like the idea of a tax reform commission, and I like looking at the idea of let's truly reform our tax code and do something about, you know, some of the things that are wrong regarding how we treat our citizens uh, with our taxes. But, um, you know, I'm right. There there with you i agree 100 percent all right thank you then all right thank you for your call we appreciate it that takes us uh to larry this larry is in little rock hi larry how are you larry are you there we lost larry lost larry hey you know we 
we haven't got Go to. Go ahead. Yeah, okay. let, let's talk about you got a couple of big things coming up. The NRA has backed you, and Bikers for Trump is coming. Well, you know, the NRA has refused to endorse an incumbent sitting Republican governor. That is huge and should speak volumes to the gun owners in, in this state. And Arkansas is one of the most heavily armed states in America. Uh, our governor did not get the endorsement of the NRA. I got an A rating from the NRA, and I'm very excited about that. And there are a number of reasons I think he, he lost their endorsement and their support. But uh, that alone should speak volumes to the people of this state and to gun owners that he's not where he needs to be on the Second Amendment. Jan Morgan is. So, All right. Yeah. So tell me about so, these Bikers for Trump. Bikers for Trump, that's a national organization. And as you know, during the presidential race, uh, Bikers for Trump was huge. They played a major role. They were there to help keep the calm when, uh, you know, anarchists from other areas were coming in and, and trying during to create problems. Right. During the inauguration, but also it, it, during the whole election process, during Trump's speeches everywhere he went, Bikers for Trump was there kind of to be to assist police and to be there to make sure that people behave themselves. Bikers for Trump National Organization has endorsed me and they are holding a rally a bikers for trump a bikers for jan morgan rally in hot springs in the garland county fairgrounds on may 20th that organization with bikers for jan which is an arkansas organization of, of motorcyclists uh, they're coming together and having a big event there and i posted the link on my page my facebook page to the date and time but it's the 20th at 2 p.m garland county fairgrounds it's free open to the public you don't have to be a motorcyclist to come there we're gonna have bands we're gonna have uh, great food i'm gonna speak and um also uh, you know, you'll get a chance to meet a lot of, of uh, interesting folks from around America. There will be people from multiple states there, as well as motorcyclists from uh, Arkansas. And, and yes, I get to ride my Harley that day. It's one of the few times since we started this campaign that my team is actually letting me ride my motorcycle. <laughs> That's big to me. I'm looking at Reggie right now. Yeah, and, they won't and, let me ride because they say we can't afford for me to go down and be off. You know, <laughs> motorcycle. That's a, it's a very dangerous. You know, it's a dangerous. Oh, I know. Not that. because you don't have skills, but because other people run over you yeah. because they're on their cell phones driving instead of paying attention to the road. But uh, yeah, they they I've I've snuck out once or twice early on in the campaign. But you know what? As we've moved forward in the campaign, I and I'm looking at all these people out there working so hard for us to win this race. I understand now that I don't need to be on that motorcycle, that it is taking a risk, and we can't afford for me to be off the campaign trail, not even for an hour right now at this stage in the race. We're, we're not giving up, and we're not saying we're done until this race is officially over May 22nd. Well, that's a week from tomorrow, and you're in the final sprint. Now. Yes, final sprint, 19-hour days, seven days a week. Time to kick. Yes. That's the way it works. We've all been right. kicking all along. I understand. Larry <laughs> Is here now from Little Rock. Hi, Larry. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Jan. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. My question is, you know when you get elected, you're going to be the Donald Trump, so that means you're going to have to drain the swamp. No, we're looking forward to draining the swamp. I want it drained. I want every lying, thieving, mm-hmm. <laughs> unconstitutional yes. state representative gone. So do I. Period. So do I. And, the, and the, the interesting thing is, Larry, uh, the, they're already showing their faces. If you look at the the uh, the state reps who are yelling and screaming and and being the most ridiculous of all about my, my mere presence in this race, like uh, Senator Jason Raper calling me Jezebel and a spirit and those kinds of things. These are the guys that are, are most connected to the swamp. And those are the guys, you know, it's like my mere presence, just like Trump's presence is drawing them out. They're showing exactly. their faces. Yeah. So we'll yeah. be we'll be draining the swamp. But that, I think your question is. What, how am I going to get anything done with, with those kinds of people? Is that your question? Well, that too, yeah. yeah. Because you've got the highway department. People have been up there 25 years. They're killing people with the way they're building these roads and these on-ramps mm-hmm. and stuff like that. 
Right. And they're so embedded, <laughs> you're not going to get rid of them unless you make them retire. Well, let me, let me just say this, Larry. I understand. And on that issue, I will tell you that, that we have more good legislators, I believe, than bad legislators, okay? There are more people not tied into the swamp than there are those who are tied in. And and I know this because I've been talking to them. Some of them have publicly endorsed me. Others are helping me behind the scenes. And I believe that on day one, when, when I sit down with all of our legislators, and and I'm talking about Democrat, Democrats and Republicans, because we're going to reach across the table and we're going to work together to make Arkansas better for everybody. And I think... Once they see that they're going to have a governor who's not going to be pressing them uh, to do things that are that are not in line with their constituency, mm-hmm. uh, that they're going to be fine and they're going to do the right thing. So many of our Republicans that voted the wrong way on issues voted that way because of pressure from the governor's office. That is a fact. They straight up. They straight right. up lied. The be- governor well, it, straight up lied. But, but Larry, here's why. Yeah. The legislators who voted the wrong way uh, so many times, like for Arkansas Works, for example, I know legislators in some in my district who ran on the promise that they would not vote to expand Medicaid if they were elected. And then once they were elected, turned around and did the opposite. And the reason they did so was because of pressure from the governor. And here's here's the pressure that that was applied. If you don't go along with me, you're going to have an opponent in your primary next time around. That opponent's going to be funded by me. And of course, that's exactly what's happened. If you look at the few legislators, the most conservatives, who actually stood up and voted up against the governor and his agenda, those people now have primary opposition proudly endorsed publicly by the governor and supported by the governor, which I think is really unusual, you know, for the governor to go, well, go get involved in, 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 in Senate races. Is like the rest of the country, pretty much. We can see through that garbage. I hope so. I think the people are smarter than I, that, too. I, and you've got yeah. senators like Senator Linda Collins-Smith, Senator Brian King, uh, Dan Sullivan, Representative Dan Sullivan. Uh, these are people who are not, by my opinion, but by their voting record, some of the most conservative yeah. legislators out there. Smith, everybody should be copying her she's amazing the woman is amazing yes and i she is a she is a a solid conservative and you're talking about somebody that at one time was a democrat but when she switched over she switched parties that woman became solid conservative and in every single vote that she's made she is she's a good woman and i hope that the people of her district see that all right larry gotta let you go we got a lot of other people want to talk and uh we're coming up on a break let me ask you one from our facebook live okay uh when you're elected will you represent the whole state by that i mean most people are concerned if they're not of a certain party they will not be heard right what that person needs to know is even the establishment into the republican party can't stand me okay (laughs) so i i am here as governor i would be representing all the people of this state and the things that we want to do are things that are going to benefit everyone it's not a partisan thing It, it when you talk about shrinking the size of government and government spending that benefits everyone regardless of political party when you talk about reducing the tax burden on the people well, that that benefits everyone, regardless of party. When you talk about, uh, you know, stopping ridiculous issues like the grocery tax and and standing up against a prescription tax and 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 standing against any any sort of new tax increases that are currently tax exemptions, all of those benefit all of those benefit everyone of Arkansas, not particular political organizations. And I can tell you that, that, that I've been a, re- a rebel to the Republican Party, and there are so many Democrats that are that are moving across and voting for Jan Morgan. I think there's even an organization in Arkansas called Democrats for Jan. And there are people that are stepping up and voting for me who've never voted before, uh, similar to the whole Trump thing. And, and I think it's because people are saying, we're sick of all the political parties. We're tired of it. We just want real representation we want somebody who's really going to represent the best interest of all the people. 
in general, and that is Jan Morgan. And and I think that we're going to see that in in the polls on Election Day. All right. We're going to come back and we'll have one last segment. We'll also we're going to remind you about uh, the NRA story as well as uh, the bikers for Trump. Mm-hmm. Coming in on the 20th, we want to tell you about that. And town hall meetings. I'm going to talk about that, too. Okay, and I've got a couple other uh, phone lines open, 823-0965. you want to ask a question, get in now, or you're going to be left in the dust, 823-0965. All right, don't forget about PI Roofing. I told you all about Joel Johnson. Joel Johnson went in, went out, hired several people that can take care of the damage inside your home when you have a problem with your roof. I mean, I, I've been talking about PI roofing, uh, for 16 years now. I think they're the best, uh, roofing company around. They've done my roof. They've done a great job, but when you get damage inside your home, you know, the stains from the water leaks and things of that nature, you need somebody to repair those as well. Typically you got to find a different contractor for drywall, for interior painting, take care of the insulation, all that. Not anymore. Joel Johnson hired the people, put together a couple of teams. They'll take care of all of that for you. All you got to do is talk to the folks at PI Roofing. How do you do that? You can call them at 501-687-6246 or visit them online at piroofing.com. Let's take a quick break. Then Jan Morgan in the final segment of the Dave Ellswick Show. Wait to the end and say, well, if I had to... All right, we're back. Thank you very... Appreciate you pointing at me there, Russ. Thank you. I saw you. I saw you pointing. All right, I before I go back to the phone calls, let's talk about town halls. Yes, one of the things that I've decided, uh, Dave, as we've traveled around the state, and it, by the way, it's been the most amazing experience of my life, listening to and meeting people from all walks of life, from every corner of this state, is that as governor, I want to continue that. I want to continue to have regional town hall meetings Mm -hmm. because I think it's good for the governor of the state to face the people, literally in person, face the people and say, "Okay, you know, how are we doing? How is our government doing? Because you learn things from people that you that might not get to you otherwise when they're trying to get through phone lines to the to the state capitol and that sort of thing. And and I want to be able to to face people and and say, how are we doing? We've promised you a lot of things. You know, what are you thinking? What are some issues you're still having? And I want people to always feel like I'm the people's governor. And I think detaching myself and and staying at that state capitol. Uh, or running off to China or whatever else, wherever else the governor's gone, uh, is not is not the kind of governor I want to be. And by the way, I've been to so many areas that people tell me they've never even seen the governor there, never ever. Uh, you know, so that tells me a lot. Also, the fact that the governor still will not debate me. I mean, here we are down to the final the final week, and we've been trying since January one to get him to debate me. And it's sad that the Democrats have already had their debate mm-hmm. on on television, and and we can't have one. Why? Because the governor won't show up. And I think that that should speak volumes. That alone should cost him this election. If nothing else, people should say, well, wait a minute. Why doesn't he want to, to face Jan on a, on a debate stage? If she's this terrible of a candidate, then why doesn't he want to expose her to the world? Let's, let's get them on the stage and let them hash out the issues and, and let the people decide. And the fact that he won't appear with me says a lot. All right. Tell me about, again... These Bikers for Trump. Bikers for Trump is a national organization, and every single time they've gotten involved in races, political races in various states, that candidate has won. So I'm very excited that they have come out and publicly endorsed me and are co-hosting, co-sponsoring a rally for me, uh, a Bikers for Jan rally in Garland County, Arkansas, at the uh, Garland County Fairgrounds, May 20th. 
Bikers for Jan and Bikers for Trump are coming together for that. It's free. It's open to the public. It'll be Speeches a big rally. And stuff. I will be speaking, and uh, there will be music, live bands, food, all kinds of great stuff. And you don't have to ride a motorcycle to participate. But I will tell you that there will be bi- bikers from all over America riding in. They're already on their way, as a matter of fact, from a number of states to come participate in that. So, and yes, I will be on my Harley that day, and I'm excited about getting to ride my motorcycle, even if it's just a short distance uh, from home to the to the rally. But that's at 2 o'clock. I've got the flyer on my Facebook page for people that want to know. 2 o'clock, Garland County Fairgrounds, this next Sunday afternoon. Um, so hope lots of folks will be there. I just got the rundown of the unofficial numbers as of 8 a.m. for the early voting. You want to hear them? Sure. Okay. Yes. Total voted absentee, uh, 2,409. Dem absentee, 13, not 19, about 55%. Mm-hmm. Rep, uh, Republicans, 938, that's 39%, and then nonpartisan absentee, 152, about 6%. Mm-hmm. Total voted early, this is uh, Democrat, Republican, and non. Mm-hmm. Uh, Democrats, 15,505, that's 36%. Now, let me just say, they keep telling us there's a big blue wave coming. Mm-hmm. Ain't going to happen. Not seeing I can, the blue I can wave, tell right? you, yeah, I can't tell right. you, not in the early voting, because Republicans are outpacing them. 26,975, which is 62% right. of Republicans. And then uh, non-early, 766 or 1.8%. So that's where we're sitting at right now. Mm-hmm. About a total of 45,000 and change. You know, on the voting issue, Dave, something that, that, that I really hate is that we have a lot of local races where people are having where people are running as democrats because they feel like if they don't run as democrats they cannot get elected sheriff's mm-hmm. races and this sort of thing and so you've got people in in certain areas of, of arkansas who want to vote for me for governor but they're having to go over and vote even republicans are having to vote on the democrat primary to vote for their local candidates and so they don't really get to get to have a choice in the statewide governor's okay. race and I, I don't like that I, I i really don't i wish that we could could fix it so that people can vote on the person not the party well i would sure like to see a closed primary and Republican side. I've said that for years. Yes. All right. Wiley. Is it Wiley? Willie? Sorry, it's Willie. 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 How you doing, Willie? What's up? Uh, okay. Hi, Governor Morgan. Well, I'm not yet. I hope you're right. I make no bones about it. I voted for you. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Willie, what was it that what's what was it exactly that turned your vote towards Jan Morgan? Oh, I've always been a Republican. I think Ace is nothing but a rhino anyway. Okay. <laughs> My question for Governor Morgan is, will you send more National Guard to the southern border? You know, I I certainly am all about protecting our border, and not only our border, the southern border, but also being strong on illegal immigration in the state of Arkansas. Our current governor uh, chose to nip in the bud legislation that would have prohibited sanctuary cities and sanctuary college campuses in this state, legislation that was put forth by good Republican legislators. Uh, I, I want to bring those those pieces of legislation back up, and we want to do everything we can to be solid, uh, solidly against illegal immigration. I, I want to make sure that as governor of Arkansas, Arkansas, our state will not become a sanctuary state. We will not have sanctuary cities and sanctuary college campuses here. Does that answer well, your question? Yeah, I have one more one more point. Quick, uh, Dave. Quick. That 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 moonbeam brown in California is a nut. Yeah, <laughs> Governor Moonbeam, you and I agree wholeheartedly together. He is an absolute nut job. Could be before the end of the 
beginning of next year it might be three states instead of one we'll have to see if that happens or not mm-hmm. that's exactly. supposed to be that's supposed to be on the ballot yeah. arkansas will not become another california with jan morgan in the governor's seat that's mm. a promise okay <laughs> that, that's good all right i wanted to touch base with you about uh, the story on the nra yes the the governor failed to get the nra endorsement that's huge for an incumbent Republican to not get the endorsement of the NRA. That is huge. I, on the other hand, got an A rating. And the reason is because the governor supported expanded background checks on CNN. Also, he came out on his social media page and said that Arkansas is a constitutional carry state, but that's not inconsistent with a licensing requirement to conceal carry. Yes, it is, Governor. You're wrong there. Number two, he said that our gun rights are subject to uh, county prosecutors' interpretation. He's wrong again. My gun rights and the gun rights of citizens of this state are not subject to any prosecuting attorney's interpretation. This is a constitutional carry state, period. All right. You want to go to Bentonville real quick? I got 60 seconds. 60 seconds? Yeah. Uh, no, I want to tell people that if they want to know more about Jan Morgan, you need to go to janmorganforgovernor.com. Our pub- public policy platform is out there. Remember, Asa Hutchinson refused to debate me. And remember, if you want a true constitutional conservative, I'm it. Jan Morgan for governor. And bikers for Trump will be in Garland County. May 20th, 2 p.m. On the 20th. Garland County Fairgrounds. Free and open to the public. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to have you here, Jan Morgan. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dave. All right. Let's take a break. We've got the news coming up. Next hour, uh, we'll be hearing from the RNC. Mark Lauder is going to join us. He used to be the press secretary for uh, Vice President Pence. I know Mark, and Mark's going to talk to us about uh, President Trump's uh, prescription drug plan that he unveiled late last week. That's coming up on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, let's move into the second hour of a Monday show. Last uh, week, at, towards the end of the week, the president unveiled a new prescription drug program uh, that he would like to see implemented here in the uh, in the country and uh, to help bring down the cost of prescription drugs. Uh, Mark Lauder is going to join us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We're going to talk about that today. And uh, Mark uh, used to be the communications director for then governor uh, of Indiana and now uh, is out working for the RNC. Good to have him with us. Hi, Mark. How are you? And can you can you kind of give us a rundown, uh, you know, now that you're looking at the big picture federally and not with uh you know uh the governor in indiana uh, um, with uh mike pence uh and looking at just one small instance of the united states how does this work nationally this new program well and thanks for having me on dave i think the big thing here is that we understand that a there's a number of reasons why the drug prices are excessively high in the united states and in some cases the system is actually being rigged And it's where the federal government can get involved is to help undo some of that to lower prices. And one of the ways drug companies are very good at gaming the system in patents. And so keeping generics off of the market, which would be lower cost to the Americans, they keep rigging the system through the patent process to keep their patents active after they normally would be and keeping generics off of the store shelves. That's one of the ways we can get to it. Another way is such a simple – it's such a simple solution. You wonder why they haven't done it beforehand, but requiring drug makers to put the price of their prescriptions in their advertising. And then you and I both know you can't open up a magazine or turn on television without seeing a commercial for some prescription drug or another – 
if they tell you how much that drug is and their competitors out there also doing the same, well, next thing you know, that right there is going to drive competition to create lower prices because right now they hide behind it. And you just go to your doctor and say, hey, I saw this commercial for X drug. I think that'd be a good one for me. Right. Is there a way to uh, to to bypass Europe, Canada, and some of the other countries where their governments uh, back up uh, their pharmaceutical companies to such an extent and they steal our patents, basically, so that they can make our drugs over in other countries cheaper and, P- and the Americans look at that and can't figure out how over in France you can buy a drug for uh, a quarter of what you can in the United States. Yeah, I mean, we definitely have to look at the, at the, at the international marketplace uh, for those drugs. And in some cases, we need to be able to speed access and, and approval of getting more uh, drugs approved and on the market here in mm-hmm. the United States. Uh, and I think that's something that we're looking at. But we obviously we have to make sure from the drug make from the U.S. drug maker standpoint that we do protect their rights and their patents uh, from infringement overseas, because that's not fair to our companies, the workers here in America who are doing the research, putting the capital on the line only to turn around and have it stolen by some drug maker in Europe or in Asia that then takes all of their work, sells it at a much lower price. Mm -hmm. We have to make sure that 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 innovation is still in safety. The research and development still takes place here and in a safe way. But, I mean, even something as simple, I mean, we have a gag rule right now that prohibits Medicare Part D recipients from, from pharmacists from telling patients that they might be able to pay less out of pocket by not using insurance or by going other ways. I mean, there are so many things where this system has been gained to the benefit of drug makers and not to the consumers. Those are the kinds of things that the president wants to get addressed. And we can also take care of some of these higher level issues. Well, let's start with the lowest and the easiest things to get done right away and save those those more difficult decisions for later. Yeah, that that's really low-hanging fruit. You're exactly right. In fact, here in the state of Arkansas just a couple of months ago, uh, we passed a law that allowed pharmacists to tell uh, consumers uh, what should be the price kind of of a, of a drug. You know, if, if you buy it from me, it's this much, but, you know, you can get it for this much. If you, It's kind of like... You know, Macy's telling uh, what Gimbal was selling on on toys from, you know, uh, Magic Christmas or whatever. I mean, I agree. How did it get so convoluted? Well, I know how it got convoluted. The government got involved in it. So we've got to untwist all the government uh, problems that we have. And how does the how does the president see us doing that? I mean, is he going to write have a his people write up this legislation, deliver it over to Congress and say, hey, would you guys, you know, pass this? Or is he just going to give them the ideas and let them go from there? Well, the first thing he's going to do is, is a lot of this are regulations okay. uh, that the Department of Health and Human Services can change uh, by going through their regulatory process. Now, some of it can be done very quickly. Some of it, depending on the federal you know, regulations that are involved, you know, have to be posted and have to be commented, and it could be six months, a year or so before you can get it all done. But it doesn't require Congress to do it. So 
that's the great thing is that while we are in the process and you and you know the president loves to talk about it repealing regulations in some cases we need to repeal them some cases we need to fix them and so in this case department of health and human services and i'll tell you we have got a great secretary in hhs uh who we worked with in indiana uh and used to work with a drug manufacturer he knows how it's done he also knows how the government can do what's necessary so that prices can be lowered uh, for uh, for consumers. So he can take a lot of action there. Obviously, Congress may be involved in some cases. And then like what you had talked about with the uh, foreign entities, the U.S. trade representative can prioritize addressing that unfair intellectual property, the, the stealing of patents and things, and making sure that these companies that may be overseas, if they're going to do this, they've got to pay their fair share into the original research and development costs. Yeah. Because right now we're bearing all of it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not fair for our companies to do that while everybody else gets off scot-free. You must be talking about that he worked for Eli Lilly. Is that right? Correct. Yes, Alex Azar. Yeah. Yeah, that's great, great drug company, no, no doubt, and very, very instrumental to the economy of Indianapolis. So here on the Dave Ellswick Show talking about the, the president trying to do all this, are, are there any ideas yet, Mark, about what the first things that he's going to strike at? Maybe that gag order, would, would that might be one of the first things that he'll take care of? Uh, well, I think they'll go through that process right now. I, I hasten, I'm not, uh, don't know the regulatory process well enough to know which one might come first because there might be different waiting periods and publishing requirements. You know, government loves to get into those kinds of things. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I can tell you that the president's order from last week ordered HHS to do these things and many other things that are very technical. I didn't really get into it, um, but all designed to increasing access, speeding access of new of new products, generic products to the marketplace, and also limiting the ability for drug makers to game the system in order to maintain their high brand cost and not lowering the cost for uh, for consumers. How's the uh, reaction been from the uh, Republican uh, Party? How are the senators and the congressmen responding to his ideas? Uh, I'll tell you that, uh, you know, in a, in a surprising move a little bit, we've heard we've heard some supportive comments from from lawmakers on both sides of the aisle. Oh, no, this is, <laughs> this is this is a solid way to do this. I know it's shocking, <laughs> especially in Washington, D.C. Yes. Uh, but I think they realize that, you know, this is an area where we can come together in agreement to try to drive more savings, lower costs for consumers, for American taxpayers and Americans out there. And, uh, and and this is some of the stuff that we can do. And if we can come together and get it done, that's a win for everyone. It's fantastic because I'm going to tell you what, if it was left to Congress, we'd be talking about it uh, for whatever generation of the uh, that comes after the millennials. You know what I'm saying, Mark. It, it, they just don't <laughs> get anything done uh, in Congress. It's so partisan. It's ridiculous. Well, with that said, let's go ahead and, and thank you very much for joining us. Uh, uh, have newspapers across the United States, uh, the talking heads, have they uh, reacted favorably to this as well? Well, I'll tell you, there, there probably hasn't been a lot of reaction because at the same time this was coming out, you also had details coming out about the president's upcoming 
meeting with mm-hmm. Kim Jong-un of North Korea. You had uh, the Iran deal, you, uh, obviously the Jerusalem embassy today. Yes. So there is so much going on in Washington, D.C. The president does not stop ever. And uh, this one uh, didn't probably get as much notice as it should have. Uh, but hopefully as they start to actually roll out these changes, people start to see it, uh, that it will get more notice then. All right. Well, when you talk to my listeners, they know what's going on because I have people like you on all the time to talk about the important issues. Speaking of Jerusalem, we're talking about that next here on the Dave Ellswick uh, show. Mark, thanks so much for the time today. Thanks, Dave. All right. Bye-bye now. All right. Mark Lauder. No Mark from Indiana. Good man. All right. Good to have him along with us when we, uh, Come back in the next half hour. Greg Roman will join us, and we'll talk about the embassy in Jerusalem. But before then, I'm going to play some sound. We're going to have Netanyahu. We're going to have uh, Trump. I think we got Lindsey Graham, don't we? And we got those three I know of. We were supposed to have a montage, and somehow it got screwed up by the folks at the top. So we won't have that because I wanted to poke my finger in the eye of Clinton, Bush, and Obama because they all said that they would move the embassy to Jerusalem, and none of them did. President Trump has done it. All right, it's Dave Ellswick's show. Don't forget that each day 500 people in America undergo amputation. More than half of those amputations are the result of vascular disease. In addition, every year more than 1,000 babies are born with a limb difference. And by 2050, 3.6 million people in the United States will be living with limb loss. So when that strikes you, if it does, know that you need to be your own advocate. You need to visit your doctor or therapist, uh, prosthetist, need to talk with them, and remember to ask as many questions as you need. Till they answer all your questions that you want answered, keep asking the questions. That's uh, according to to my good friends over at Horton's Prosthetic and uh, uh, Orthotics, good folks, family business, Gary, the owner, the man who, uh, the patriarch who started this business, is a, a very smart man, guy who worked with NASA, got the articulating knee uh, in so that you can bend your uh, you know prosthetic when you're walking and things of that nature. He's the man behind that with NASA. Now his sons work with him, Mike, and, and of course, uh, all of his, uh, his daughter as well. She works up in the uh, uh, area up in Bryant. Chris wa- works as, uh, in the Little Rock office. And Mike travels all over the state to see uh, many of uh, the patients for Hortons. You, you can't find a more uh, you know, a empathy-based uh, business than Hortons. So if you find yourself in this position that you need a prosthetic, you need an orthotic, you're a woman, you've had, you know, breast, uh, you know, surgery, you, you need a prosthetic there. They can help you. They got a whole division that can help you ladies. The number is 501-663-2908, 501-663-2908, 5220 West 12th Street in Little Rock is their location. When you go by to visit them, just remember, bring your photo ID. Driver's license is fine. Bring your insurance card and bring that piece of paper from your doctor saying 
what your treatment is. All right, back with you. Uh, If you've not had time to catch up with the news today, uh, I think the biggest story today is uh, that the United States moved our embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, uh, the capital of Israel. Now, a lot of presidents have uh, promised to do this. I mean, the the law to make it possible was passed back in the 90s when Clinton was president. He said he would do it. Then Bush said he would do it. Then Obama said he would do it. And remember, they all served two terms. So take eight times. That's 24 years that they've been promising, and none of it ever happened. And then the president-elect, President Trump, got in, and he said he was going to do it. Guess what? Today it became a reality. Here's what the previous presidents had said. Jerusalem is still the capital of Israel and must remain an undivided city accessible to all. As soon as I take office, I will begin the process of moving the United States ambassador to the city of Israel as chosen as its capital. I continue to say that uh, Jerusalem will be the capital of Israel, and I have said that before and I will say it again. And Jerusalem will remain the capital of Israel and it must remain undivided. We will move the American embassy to the eternal capital of the Jewish people, Jerusalem. Therefore, I have determined that it is time to officially recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. While previous presidents have made this a major campaign promise, they failed to deliver. Today, I am delivering. I've judged this course of action to be in the best interests of the United States of America and the pursuit of peace between Israel and the Palestinians. This is a long overdue step to advance the peace process and to work towards a lasting agreement. There you go. So it happened today. Here's what uh, President Netanyahu of Israel had to say. We gather here today to celebrate another historic day in the life of this city, which I know will take its place alongside other momentous decisions in the history of our people. Over a century ago, the Balfour Declaration recognized the right of the Jewish people to a national home in this land. And exactly 70 years ago today, President Truman became the first world leader to recognize the newborn Jewish state. Last December, President Trump became the first world leader to recognize Jerusalem as our capital. And today, the United States of America is opening its embassy right here in Jerusalem. Thank you. Thank you, President Trump, for having the courage to keep your promises. Thank you, President Trump, and thank you all for making the alliance between America and Israel stronger than ever. There you go. That was Netanyahu today. The president sent over a taped 
uh, piece. He could not be there today. Jared and Ivanka had, uh, were over in Jerusalem for this. Here's what the president had to say. Became the first nation to recognize the state of Israel. Today, we officially opened the United States Embassy in Jerusalem. Congratulations. It's been a long time coming. Almost immediately after declaring statehood in 1948, Israel designated the city of Jerusalem as its capital. The capital, the Jewish people, established in ancient times. So important. Today, Jerusalem is the seat of Israel's government. It is the home of the Israeli legislature and the Israeli Supreme Court and Israel's prime minister and president. Israel is a sovereign nation with the right, like every other sovereign nation, to determine its own capital. Yet, for many years, we failed to acknowledge the obvious, the plain reality that Israel's capital is Jerusalem. On December 6, 2017, at my direction, the United States finally and officially recognized Jerusalem as the true capital of Israel. Today, we follow through on this recognition and open our embassy in the historic and sacred land of Jerusalem. And we're opening it many, many years ahead of schedule. As I said in December, our greatest hope is for peace. The United States remains fully committed to facilitating a lasting peace agreement, and we continue to support the status quo at Jerusalem's holy sites, including at the Temple Mount, also known as Haram al-Sharif. This city and its entire nation is a testament to the unbreakable spirit of the Jewish people. The United States will always be a great friend of Israel and a partner in the cause of freedom and peace. We wish Ambassador Friedman good luck as he takes up his office in this beautiful Jerusalem embassy, and we extend a hand in friendship to Israel, the Palestinians, and to all of their neighbors. May there be peace. May God bless this embassy. May God bless all who serve there. And may God bless the United States. All you have to do is wait until you withdraw money from your IRA, 401k, or other retirement accounts because of a required minimum distribution, which can force you to withdraw money from those accounts, whether you want to or not. That can trigger an avalanche of taxes, and every year could get more and more expensive. David Lucas specializes in strategies that could reduce the taxes and save you thousands of dollars. He's a published author, host of the David Lucas Show right here on 1011, The Answer. And if you've saved at least $200,000 for retirement, be one of the first 10 callers to schedule your free review now at 501-653-6690. If you want to learn how you can save thousands in taxes on your IRA or your 401k, call that number. 501-653-6690. That's 501-653-6690. And then uh, I also wanted to remind you uh, that coming up this Wednesday, May 16th, 
from 3.30 to 7.30 in the evening. Uh, we'll give you the time to uh, meet the folks at Brain Balance of Little Rock. They're having an open house that day where you can meet their staff. You can see how their program can help your family. All you have to do is RSVP by calling 870-690-6129. That's 870-692-6192. So uh, keep that in mind. We've had brain balance on many a time uh, talking to them about how they can help your child uh, you know, reach their potential because they treat uh, these problems, these learning problems, uh, with, you know, things in, um, how do you say, by by talking uh, to your child, learning the areas that there's problems, and then uh, dealing with those problems in a holistic way and uh, letting them learn uh, a little bit differently so they can learn uh, what they need to learn effectively. So uh, we're waiting on Greg Roman right now. I'm just sending a quick message to him and say, hey, Greg, give us a call. He's got the number. Don't understand why he hasn't called yet, but just uh, know that. I, I'm, I don't know about you, but the whole thing that we are now uh, we now have our embassy in Jerusalem, I find, to be a great, uh, great uh, thing. I mean, it's been the, the Israelis' capital since the time of David. So it only makes sense that the embassies uh, from us and other countries be there. Now, we're going to be the first ones there. I think there's others that are going to move there. Now, uh, they thought that there was going to be huge, huge problems with this, and that has, for the most part, not happened. There are some problems along uh, uh, the border with the Palestinians. Uh, the Palestinians, for whatever reason, think that they should have half of Jerusalem as their capital, uh, but uh, I don't believe that they can truly uh, put any kind of historical marker down saying that Jerusalem has ever been their capital. Uh, for 70 years, we have identified Israel as their own country. Uh, we have been, I believe, their best ally. I believe in the Middle East they are our best ally. And uh, I think it's an exciting day today that President uh, Trump uh, acted on this and took care of it. Lindsey Graham, Senator Graham, had something to say as well about this, and I usually don't agree with him, but take a listen to this. In 1995, when I was a freshman member of Congress, uh, thank you, President Trump. And why does it matter? There's no nation on earth that provides us with better intelligence about radical Islam uh, than Israel. There's nobody tells us more about Iran than Israel. So Israel makes us safer, and the least we can do is recognize their capital. If you got a problem with Jerusalem being the capital of Israel, take it up with God. <laughs> yeah, for once, I agree with Lindsey Graham. You had a problem with uh, you know us having our embassy there in jerusalem and jerusalem being the capital of israel take it up with god all right 
Bottom line, take it up with God. We're hoping that uh, we'll hear from, again, Greg Roman. I just sent a text out about that. Uh, Let me remind you that three other presidents, Clinton, Bush, and Obama, have all said they were going to move our embassy to Jerusalem because they saw Jerusalem as being the the center part, the capital of of, uh, Israel. And uh, none of them did it. None of them had uh, intestinal fortitude to step up to the plate and do it, but this president uh, did. So let's go to Israel right now, and let's talk to Greg Roman. Hey, Greg, how are you, and how are things in Israel tonight? I'm doing all right. It's uh, burning in the south and celebrating in the east. You have a situation right now where there is elation in the streets of Jerusalem, the capital of the Jewish uh, state of Israel is recognized now by both the government here and also by the United States and five other countries with many more on the way. And you have an unfortunate scenario where the terror organization Hamas is using its own people to send human waves trying to penetrate Israeli territory by uh, having the intention of uh, committing terror attacks by having these individuals go en masse against the Israeli border. It's uh, it's quite a show. Yeah, from what we're understanding, Greg, is that uh, the uh, the Palestinians believe that part of Jerusalem should be their capital. Where do they get that idea? Do you know? If you go back to 1919, with the appointment of the first Grand Mufti of Jerusalem, Hajibina Husseini, by a British individual, General Ward Wingate, you would see yourself in a situation where a Palestinian national narrative was being woven, where the Jordanians, the British, and the Ottomans had ruled prior to the establishment of the State of Israel in 1948. But if you go back 4,000 years with the presence of the first Jewish city in this in this uh, land, you would see that the Palestinian claim to Jerusalem, if any exists, is only 100 years old, not that which goes back millennia, like that of the Jewish state. Well, yeah, I mean, for God's sakes, this goes back to the time of David. Right. He says in the Bible, if I forget my hand, if I forget Jerusalem, I forget my right hand. Yeah. I yeah, mean, come on. Sometimes on uh, on Sundays in church or Fridays in, uh, in synagogue or, or even in the mosque, they'll say, if you look at the Quran, you'll see there's a reference to Jerusalem being a Jewish city. So a, a quick question for you. How, how are the people responding, the Jewish people responding to this? Are, are they happy about it, or are they, is there trepidation because they think it's going to cause problems with their Arab neighbors, or what? I think since the passage of the Jerusalem Embassy Act in 1995, by a Democratic president and bipartisan supermajorities in both the Senate and the House, Israelis, both Jews and non-Jews, have been waiting for the move of the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And it's a a situation where, with the uh, uh, election and subsequent policymaking decisions of Donald Trump, we find ourselves in a situation right now where the president is delivering on goods that the Israeli people have been waiting for for the past 23 years. And I don't think that there's anyone in the state, whether it's a resident of the city of Jerusalem or someone else who lives north of the country in Haifa or the south in a lot, 
that is upset about this move, at least those from the Jewish majority. Okay, so 70 years ago, Israel was declared a country and, and free. Truman was the first one to sign on to it. Then other countries signed on to it. Today, the United States moves their embassy to Jerusalem 70 years later. From what I understood, uh, basically at exactly the same time that the country uh, became a country, so to speak, uh, from uh, the international view of things, uh, now our embassy is there. How many other countries are are signaling that they too will move from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem? Uh, Paraguay, Guatemala, Honduras have already followed suit, and you have Romania, uh, Hungary, uh, Czech Republic, and a few other countries which are signaling that they may also follow as well. At one time, there was actually 16 nations that had their capital, or or rather had their embassies in Israel's capital of, of Jerusalem. But after a process that took place in the 1980s, with sort of the uh, the balkanization of the peace process, the recognition with the recognition of Yasser Arafat and the Palestinian Liberation Organization, which now constitutes the governing authority of the West Bank, Judea and Samaria, and Gaza, this is sort of a, a flip flop that the international community took, and the U.S. is correcting it. So. Things have gotten very interesting in the Middle East, to say the least. We have this going on. Are any of the European nations yet saying, I mean, I'm talking about France, Germany, I'm talking about Britain. Are any of them saying that they, too, are considering a move to Jerusalem? No Western European governments have made any inclinations that they are planning on moving their embassies to Jerusalem or recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. But if you look at the wave of civilizationalist parties that constitute the opposition in these countries, you'll find that there are disparate political forces that are calling for their governments in Western European capitals to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of the Jewish state. I mean, I don't understand. I see this as anti-Semitism when you've got, you know, a, a country and you know that Jerusalem is your capital and you refuse to go there. Can they at all make a, a legitimate argument about a, against moving their capital, or is it all considered they're afraid of uh, terrorism or whatever? Well, I, I wouldn't call it anti-Semitism. There are definitely some forces, for instance, Jeremy Corbyn and the Labor Party in the United Kingdom, who, who serve in the opposition. They don't constitute the government with Theresa May and the conservatives, that are definitely borderline anti-Semitism with their rationale for not moving the embassy to Jerusalem of their country or recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. But the status quo ante, which has existed since 1948 and the subsequent unification of Jerusalem in 1967 after the Six-Day War, is that countries don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to upset the status quo. They want to treat the Palestinians and the Israelis as equals. But nothing in the U.S. declaration of the embassy moving to Jerusalem constituted any recognition of borders. It didn't say anything about the Arab minority in the city. It didn't change U.S. policy, or if another European country were to move their embassy, it wouldn't change their policy. This is just a recognition of the fact that Israel's governing institutions, whether it be its parliament, the office of its president, prime minister, other ministers, Supreme Court, all rest in 
uh, Jerusalem. And in doing so, we find ourselves in a situation where you have um, the uh, the country itself being recognized here. So thank you very much for having me today. And okay. I'm going to have to get going. But uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to speak about this very important issue. All right, Greg. Thank you very much for the time. Appreciate you being with us. That's Greg Roman from over in Israel, where there's a big celebration tonight. One, 70 years as a country. Two, the American embassy moves to Jerusalem. A break and then more coming your way here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back with you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We're moving into the final segment. Let's see. We got uh, Roman online. Roman, how are you? Welcome to the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, hello, Dave. Thanks for the uh, greeting. And uh, I was hoping that I might get in with your guest uh, and on the heels of a lot of of well wishes for what's going on in the Middle East today. I come with a degree of caution in my heart simply because I think whenever the Zionist state came about in the late 1800s and the success of pressure from special interest groups through the British and the United Nations efforts for this declaration that brought around the so-called state, I think that it stands in opposition to what the Word of God shows uh, in the Abrahamic covenant, in the land deed, if you want to call it, that was given to Abraham in the meets and bounds description. Mm-hmm. And uh, along with an organization called True Torah Jews, you know, currently the the cross-section of, uh, of Israel as the state it stands at somewhere between 7 and 8 million people. You have less than 100,000 people that are completely opposed because of their perspective of an opposition to what is written from the way a true Torah Jew worships and celebrates and all of the history that they reflect that uh, literally put the 12 tribes of Israel on the back burner when Christ admonished his disciples to go into the Gentiles. And if you reverse engineer what's written in Revelation about the 12 tribes and 144,000 after the fact that the uh, snatching away the Harpazo event of Christ in the air that 1 Corinthians talks about, chapter 15, Thessalonians 4 that talks about the return of the Lord in the air, and the end of the age, the Gentile age, because this, this is the timeline of God's allowability that we're living in, that there's a great danger of what's taking place. I think what you're seeing take place, and time will prove this out, that the actual foothold for the system of Antichrist, the so-called Bema Seat from which many prophetic events are about to take place, are going to take place because of what has been done on this date, and it's not a date, I believe, to be celebrated. It's a date to revisit your Bible and consider that it is to the descendants of Jacob, Israel, and not to a state. Anytime that the people of God, the Hebrew people of God, chose to go against what the, uh, the God of Israel wanted to do for them, it resulted in dire consequences. All right, and this Roman. Roman. Today... This act today will be the same. Go ahead. Right. Well, Roman, let me jump in. Join us tomorrow at 5 o'clock, and let's bring this up with the Bible, guys. All right? We'll see what we can do, Dave. Thank All right. You Thank you very much. All right, Roman. Appreciate your Talk to you later. All right. So we'll bring I, – I, 
wanted to talk about this in view of prophecy anyway, uh, because there are many people who are excited about it in a prophetic way. There's others who are not excited about it uh, in prophecy. So, and Roman is one of them. So we'll we'll bring it up tomorrow in the five o'clock hour. My thanks to Greg Roman uh, from calling from Israel today uh, to talk to us about what is going on there. I, I did want to ask him about the quote Arab uprising that was supposed to happen. Did not. We had some problems along uh, the border with the Palestinians and Hamas, maybe Hezbollah as well. But the bottom line, nothing like what had been promised uh, to happen. Some, but not uh, a huge amount. So big day today in in uh, Israel. Coming up, uh, Conduit for Action to be with us. Final hour, Robert Steinbach. He and I will talk about, from a Jewish perspective, for a Jew, what does this day mean? to them because Robert of course is a Jew he's got some things he'd like to say about it it's time for us to take a break got news coming your way here on the Dave Ellswick show all right back with me uh the Dave Ellswick show glad you could be with us today it's been to say a full show already is an understatement that it's going to get fuller now is an understatement conduit for action is going to be joining us uh but two o'clock Jan Morgan three o'clock we've talked about the president's prescription drug legislation he'd like to see done and then just a moment ago adam uh, uh greg from uh, over in over there in in israel and we appreciate him uh, being on with us today to tell us what it was like to gra- like on the ground uh in uh, in israel today to the south he said of course the palestinian thing going on but up to the north uh, celebration, excessive celebration going on with the uh, opening of the embassy for the United States in uh, Jerusalem. Another, I think he said eight countries to join the United States over the next couple of months. And then there, uh, he said, uh, of course, the Western nations over in Europe uh, holding back, uh, ridiculous. And uh, he agreed with me that as far as uh, England was concerned and, and in Germany, uh, there are some uh, definite anti-Semite moves going on there. We'll talk more about that in the five, 5 o'clock hour. But right now, uh, joining us is Conduit for uh, Action. And uh, Brenda's here. Joe's here. Hi, guys. How are you? It's been a great day today. Good. It sounds like it. Yeah, it's been amazing. I mean, let's just face it. 70 years Israel's been a country, and today, on the exact same day they became a country, and uh, or the country that the world says uh, that they are, and then at the exact same time that Truman signed uh, the statement or the, uh, I don't know, the bill uh, that said that we, we, uh, we saw them as a country, that's when we opened uh, the embassy uh, in Jerusalem today. Pretty historic, if you ask me. I think if your listeners will tune in to Condit News in the morning, that I believe Paul has has some uh, scripture-based analysis of that, and it, it was very interesting. We spoke about that today. Yeah, we're going to do that. A great day for uh, our faith. Yeah, we're going to do that again uh, tomorrow as well. My Bible guys come in at 5 o'clock, and uh, we knew about, of course, this coming up today. And uh, I said, we're talking prophecy next week. They said, yep, we want to talk prophecy. So that's coming up uh, tomorrow. 
All right, so there's a lot of things going on right now. Of course, the, the final day for voting will be a week from tomorrow. We're in early voting now. Did, I, I've got the unofficial early numbers, guys. I'm a little bit, not a little bit, I'm, I'm really disappointed in where we're at as far as early voting goes. Can I give you the numbers that I have? Would you like to hear them? Yeah. All right. Total total uh, voted absentee up till uh, 8 o'clock today, 2,409. Uh, the Democrat absentee uh, uh, votes, 1,319, or about 55%. Republican absentee, 938 or 39 percent nonpartisan absentee 152 or six percent but listen to the total early voting uh that i have here Forty three thousand two forty six. that seems low to me i have i don't have access to previous uh early voting but that just seems low to me but what does interest me really a lot in this is that this huge blue wave that's supposed to be uh, forming all across the United States uh, looks to me like it won't even be a ripple. Uh, early Democrat votes, 15,505 or 36%. Republican early votes, 26,975, 62%. Nonpartisan uh, uh, early voting, 766 or 1.8%. Now, I, I can look at that early voting number and say some of that uh, should make uh, Jan Morgan happy because i got to think that her people are going to want to get to the polls as fast as possible and cast their, uh, their votes. Uh, but only 26,975 Republicans voting early through the first week it's concerning to me. That's uh, a little over 3,000 a day. Well, it may very well be that the the establishment Republican group is waiting to see what benefit they can extract before they cast their vote. <laughs> what we ex- have experienced in the races that we've been involved in, most of our supporters wait until Election Day to vote. We're, we're not quite sure of the dynamics or reasons. But um, that's what we've experienced. Yeah, I think that the the, the last elections have kind of uh, skewed the, the numbers where you have a, a very intense, uh, for example, the Trump vote that came out. Uh, they came out for Trump in, in huge numbers early and uh, during the election. And they seem to not have any particular uh, you know, affinity for any of the candidates on down the ballot. So... You know, they just vote a straight ticket one way or the other, you know, for Trump, against Trump. And I think that's some of what we saw before. So that may have historically been an anomaly. And I do think that, you know, we're learning something in every race now that Arkansas is not only red, it's super majority red. And these numbers you are saying the Democrats really aren't doing what we thought they would. Well, look at the percentages of, you know, 75 percent of the House or 74% whatever in the State House and, um, you know, large equal percentage in the Senate. I mean, this shows they're picking up ground. I mean, it's what I would say just from these numbers, which we don't know yet what they mean. Well, as we've discussed, though, many times is, is voting Republican does not ensure you for getting the Republican platform implemented. 
and and I, I don't know where that is working, but it sure seems like Arkansas politics is getting a lot like D.C. politics. You know, the the, the style of campaigns, the the rhetoric, uh, the establishment uh, turning on anybody who cares to rock the boat in the Republican Party. They're you know, just very similar to what's going on in D.C. Mm. All right, so, you know, I can go along with two years ago. It was uh, because Trump was running, Cruz was running, Rubio was running, and all three candidates had pretty strong followings here in, in the state that the turnout was uh, probably excessive at at that time. I'm going to be very interested to see. By the way, have both of you already voted? I have not. I, I usually wait until the last and you know that, the last day of last voting of early voting. Okay. Uh, and I will not disclose for 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 fear of uh, personal attacks. Really. <laughs> Not really. No. Not really. Not really. Okay. Well, I'm voting. I'm just to- being paranoid. I'm voting tomorrow morning, just so everybody knows about that. I'm I'm going out and do my thing. It, it's it's been getting very interesting in this race. Uh, I had a little give and take with Nate Bell on Twitter last week uh, with the things that he was saying about Jan Morgan. My my whole thing about this election has. There has been a lot of mud slung over all over the place, and, uh, and and probably more so this this year than I've seen in previous years. But that's to be understood. I mean, this is a pivotal uh, a pivotal election this time uh, for the Republican Party. Would you all agree? Yeah, I, I would. I would say that. And and to the average voter or person, they they tend to just gravitate towards whatever somebody they know says rather than you know actually having knowledge of the facts right so that you know mudslinging is a way to muddy the water so that you know both sides will be equally as despised in the public's mind and that's a great technique and, and that's the one that they, a lot of people have used uh, i'm glad to see nate's found work since his cameo appearance in bruce almighty in the alley scene Okay. Okay. Speaking of movies. Yes. Yeah, I, I just uh, it's it's been kind of interesting to me to see uh, what's been going on. I mean, this is there's people. What, where was it that I read in uh, stuff about uh, uh, people that are out there that you guys are uh, a cabal? I mean. Uh, who was it, Gary yeah, that, that Epperson? That's what we wanted to find out today. If if you would be as kind, I mean, tell us what our agenda really is, because we we certainly uh, don't see what is wrong with the agenda. But other people seem to ascribe agendas, but they don't necessarily say what it is our agenda is. Uh, maybe somebody could call in and help us to define our true agenda. Well, I think Dave is been around us and talked to us enough that maybe he can figure it out, especially my favorite adjective is self-serving. I mean, you know, I'm a tax lawyer, judge and manufacturer, and we work to make government smaller, but I want to know the self-serving part and the agenda part, if you could help us out. Well, here, well, the agenda is a simple one. True Republicans, I would say, is the, is, is the agenda, but 
because uh, I've known you guys uh, ever since you got involved up at the Capitol. When I was up there covering what was going on in the Capitol, I just don't understand. Gary Epperson, I don't understand why they refer to you as the political cabal. Well, I mean, what what does that mean? They never define that. What are they trying to say about you all? That you're that you're paying people to say what they're saying, or what? Threatening them to say what you're what they're saying, or you're going to go in and and sit out a hit, hit uh, send out a hit squad on people. I mean, showing people's votes must be a pretty powerful tool because that's basically what we do. Yeah, and I guess cabal is a negative connotation in most people's minds, and and it's. It's really a, I believe, a, and has been gaining momentum, a, a, uh, a defined, a definite plan to marginalize people that actually expose what the bill says and expose what people voted and expose how they conduct themselves and, you know, the disconnects between those things and what the voters think they're voting for. And it's a very dangerous thing for the, you know, the, the government in, in Little Rock they can't have people like us around uh, because then they have to be accountable. They have an agenda that is in direct contradiction to their words and the agenda that they vote for and pass. And we stand there and clearly say, this is not what you said. It's not what it says in the body of the bill. And with the use of the adjectives such as cabal, and those are mostly used by those who want the favor of the establishment leadership. And, um, you know, they're saying, look, other legislators, if you partner with these people, we're going to hate you too. So unless you want to be part of the cool class, you won't be part of that nasty cabal. Yeah, I think interestingly on some of the people that uh, one you mentioned and and others is they do want to gain favor or retain the favor of the powers that be in Little Rock, uh, whether it be, you know, a spouse's job or their own lobbyist uh, ties, and we'll debate agendas with anybody, anytime. Well, here I mean, we can't very well go out there and fight for transparency, and then you know not put out our agenda. It's been written for ten years almost out there. Well, yeah, yeah Ms- we have it. We, we say it every time we open our mouths, and so it's not like it's some hidden something. It's the personal benefit that I keep waiting on. You know, of course. We made a decision a long time ago that our personal benefit would to see our state prosper through um, free enterprise, capitalism. I mean, we want freedom and less government, and that that would be a self-serving agenda to have accomplished. But it just so happens that these people who are opposed to the fact that we exist claim that's their agenda. Yeah, that was the interesting part in the beginning is we, we went down, educated ourselves just so that we would be in a position to help the people do what they were saying they wanted to do because we agreed with it. And when we came to find out, that was really the only their words. Their actions in many cases were almost opposite of what they said, and, and there's no reconciling that issue. Well, here's the thing. Look, Michelle Gray posted, I don't know what day this came in. It says, uh, the one I've got says from an hour ago. I don't know if that was today or not, but it says, it's hard to take anything seriously that the conduitors say. Being their target actually means that I'm doing my job well. Maynard, uh, at all, or everybody else with you, I guess, Joe, are phonies. 
They don't really believe in any party's official platform. They have self-serving agendas that only benefit them. Easy to say that without any verifiable or statement from the people that are saying it of what this supposed self-serving agenda is. Uh, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I sent a couple of emails to uh, Brianne Davis uh, recently because she unsubscribed from Conduit News. Uh, thus, I was crushed. But I, I, I told her I was sorry she unsubscribed. And, and then, of course, she came back with, you know, you're a liar. You divided our community. You, you know, you put out so much false information. And, and I said, well, you know, give me an example. And if we have an example of that, I don't want to be associated with false uh, propaganda or anything like that. I'll fix it within our organization. And it's funny how every time I say that to somebody, they they shrink from uh, your liars to it's untrue to you're deceptive to it's misleading to it's distorting. And now we went from a lie to a distortion really quick. Without an with, example. Without any examples. <laughs> Uh, so they backtrack really quick uh, when posed with, you know, having to put up or shut up. But the deception or the distortions or misleading, I mean, you take, you give me a push card and I'll show you misleading. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we sent some, you know, last week, Dave, you were kind enough to ask us about the statewide races and we talked in generalities. Yeah. And you know, tried to be kind and fair and balanced. But we're ready to tell you what's going on in the races that we're uh, interested in. Uh, don't ask Brenda what she really thinks, please, Dave. Okay, I, I won't do that. All right, I'll just—I know I don't have to ask her. She's going to tell me anyway. Yeah, we're on, we're on the Salem <laughs> network, and we appreciate being on it. All right, with, with with what we're talking about, let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back and talk further on this. So, Dave Ellswick show Conduit for Action is with us. ConduitforAction.org, their website. Uh, you'll find articles there, read the articles, you know, check out their, uh, uh, you know, uh, things that they, they say the articles came from and, uh, find out if what all these people are saying that they're just trying to mislead you. I haven't found that to be the case. I find that they present their argument, uh, well, but I don't find the other side presenting theirs without, uh, you know, ad hominem attacks, basically. We'll take a break. we got more coming your way here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, we're back, and uh, we've got Conduit for Action on. And i I got to say, I this election has, has bothered me. I think people who have listened to my show know that it has bothered me. The tone of the election has bothered me uh, f- from all sides, from ACES supporters to JAN supporters. It's It's bothered me. But what really bothers me is when people make statements and uh, they don't back them up. That, that's just not uh, the way it should be done. And if you say that somebody's got a personal agenda, you should name what the agenda is and then show us some proof for that agenda. Uh, look, I, I think everybody knows I, uh, I have, uh, you know, our folks uh, on every monday to talk anytime you think that there's an agenda involved the phone number is 501-823-0965 uh you can uh, you can talk directly to brenda and joe and then and, and and give us your you know your reasons for calling it you think they've got some kind of agenda 
uh, going on. It, it's available to you. But the way that things is, have been going here lately, uh, it's just spurious statement after spurious statement. And when that happens, the electorate uh, doesn't know what to believe. And because they don't know what to believe, then I believe they don't have a, a, a good basis to make their decisions on. So I, I just wish that would that would stop. And then when you give them uh, information to have them continue, that really part of my part of my friends here, Brenda, but that really pisses me off. And that's why I got into the argument uh, last week uh, on on Twitter uh, with folks. I believe it was last Tuesday, if I'm not mistaken. So back we go to Conduit for Action. If you don't like what they're saying, then uh, challenge them with other facts. That's all I say. I'd be well, a, well something know. that occurs to me that uh, we had the gun debate recently a few months ago. We heated up a lot. And in my mind, there is going to be more damage done by an ignorant all vote right. Joe, than by any. Joe, let me jump in and say, hold on. I've got news coming up. I'm going to let you pick up right where you're at when we return here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, we're back. Uh, Joe Maynard was answering uh, a question. We were dealing with uh, the issue of uh, – you know, gun control here in the state of Arkansas. And what was the point you were trying to make, Joe? I've often thought about was, which is more dangerous? A, a weapon of some kind, a handgun, a rifle, or the vote of an ignorant voter mm-hmm. to our ultimate freedom? And I would argue all day long that it's an uninformed voter is more dangerous than any gun will ever be. Well, you're just saying that the vote is more powerful, and in this country, of freedom was designed to be more powerful, but it did take guns and the use of those guns to gain that freedom and, right. that, and that weapon of voting. That's right, and, and voting will keep you from ever having to use them again if you pay attention. And I, I, and I get it, Dave. I mean, I get it. People have busy lives. They have people that they trust for whatever reason, and they budget only a small amount of time to think about the larger issues of the country, but as you get older and have you, you have grandchildren and, and you, you gain some perspective by living life, it's important that you communicate what you've learned to others. Yeah, I, and that's what we try to do. Well, the other thing is people who vote just because somebody is their friend. That that's probably the vote that drives me the nuts most nuts. Well, that, you know, it, it, and they, people just don't listen to the words that they're hearing. With, with the right thought. They're, they're, they're designed to be misled. Uh, I just heard an ad not too long ago that's talking about I'm this pro-Second Amendment because, you know, the Second Amendment says that the right shall not be infringed. But they didn't add the part that said if you buy a license and you get approval from the state, then it won't be infringed. And you take an eight-hour course. I mean, you know, you've got to listen to the words and then match them to deeds. That's the only way we know how to do it. Well, the only thing that I, you know, when I talk to people about rights and things, Joe, and Brenda, you might be hearing this as well, is that I hear people who say, yeah, I believe in rights, but, and whenever you say, but you just told me you, you don't really believe in rights. Well, and some of that goes back to uh, the education that we're delivering through public education and and no free choice education, school choice. We've dumbed down our population to understanding how government works to such an extent that people don't think on that level very much anymore. That's why Joe and I seem so dangerous 
to the uh, current political class. I mean, they're threatened by something they've probably not seen a lot of, well, people yeah. that think through the issues. But in all honesty, people would be shocked at freedom. And Dave, I think you would agree that if we had the freedom that was intended by our founders, there would be a heck of a lot more mess in life. Well, but, yeah, there, it's supposed to be messy. You're supposed to take you. you're supposed to take personal responsibility. And right now, people would rather not take personal responsibility. They'd rather someone tell them how to do things so they don't have to worry about anything. Yeah, there's two things that work. There is one of them is the ER principle, where everything has to be safer, safer. You know, when you get to the bottom of an argument about safety, we'll say how much money fire departments get, or hospitals get, or uh, the highway department gets. It's well, you know, we put speed limit signs every 10 feet, you know, for, for 20 miles because it makes the highway safer. And, and, you know, well, it doesn't make it safer. Well, what if it was your child that was killed on the highway? I mean, really, that's where we end up going in the argument to make things safer. Well, that's the pain and point. there's no end. Pain point politics, but I just thought you never hear about government saying, let's make it freer. <laughs> That well, as far as freedom is concerned, here's, here's what I a certain group of people. Here's what I've run into a lot, and I, a perfect example is seatbelts and and the legislature. And I don't think the Republicans had taken over yet uh, when they were talking about uh, making it a a, a chargeable or a, a ticketable offense not to wear your seatbelt and they said the reason they were doing that is for the protection of the populace of arkansas what they didn't say is that if we made it a ticketable a ticketable offense i think we got somewhere in the neighborhood of 90 million dollars from the federal government uh that they could use in roads and things of that nature it had nothing to do with safety it had everything to do with washington money matching principle you know we'll give you so much of your money back if you'll match it with additional funds and it grows government yeah well i had this conversation down in little rock with a, a highway department official about those uh, and we've talked about this before dave the director actually the director okay uh well you know i figure these guys work for me i you know i don't know who they are but it was about these wires and cables that are in between the lanes on the freeway yes and and at least in our neck of the woods they put them down at the cost, according to him, at $770,000 per mile. And within two years, they dug them all up and widened the street. And that was because it was federal matching money. And that's where the conversation went to. First, I asked him, hey, what about the guys on the motorcycle? Did they ever vote for those cables? You know, it's like a, a, a human shredder. Uh, and then he said, well, it saved 12 lives. Uh, since they've been in place in the state. And I'm saying, how do you measure that? You know, and, and he said, well, what if it was your child? Really? Is that where we go? Well, that gets back to, are you willing to not take the money? Are you willing to not raise taxes on the uh, lower level, you know, government level citizens to get that money? I mean, it, it all works together to make things quote, safer or whatever. It just grows government's control in our lives. So when we stand up as conduit to resist that and educate people who are interested in listening, there's pushback. And I think that should be expected. Well, we're talking to people who believe the Republican principles, and they, they're they hoping to see them applied 
they're being told by Republican legislators that they are being applied, but they come up with every excuse under the sun not to implement them, and they still get voted into office. Now, that's uh, something I don't understand, but I'm beginning to. Hey, Joe, that's a that's a, a, a fine thing that you just brought up because in Michelle Gray's uh, tweet, she said, you guys don't believe in any party's uh, platform. You've talked extensively here on this show about the Republican platform, the one that's printed, the one that everybody can get a, 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 a copy of, and you, you talk about it and, uh, and how the, the Republicans are not backing it up like smaller government and things of that nature. And then she throws out the, the question they don't, or the statement, they don't believe in any party platform. See, that's wrong. You guys believe in the Republican platform. It it seems to me there's a lot of things that are out there that don't go along with the platform. And I've had had other Republicans bring that to my attention. Well, well, to me, why would a a private citizen who has no power to, to vote or create any laws spend their time and personal money to promote the Republican platform for which there's dozens. I could probably come up with several hundred names of people that have been fighting for this platform for the last 20, 30, 40 years in Arkansas. And just at the time it comes to fruition, the current crop is ruining it. And I just hate seeing that for those people who have worked so hard to put Republicans in the position to implement this platform, and then they do a 180 and do a socialist progressive platform implementation and try to yell at anybody and diminish anybody who points out the fact that, hey, that's going to communism. That's not Republican. And, and like, we're the bad guys. Hey, bring it on. You know, Republicans uh, here in Arkansas, we're from the South. We like to be courteous, respectful. No one really likes to engage in a in a public fight. You know, I mean, we like to get along. I mean, that's our goal. We're understood. We all have the same color T-shirt. Worked for years to get where we are now. It's not a fun place to be as part of Conduit. I'll just tell you, we have a great group of people who work with us, who support us, who. Um, I mean, every day they're working on the things that we work on, and uh, we just can't say enough of good things about them. But to see those people diminished every day in their work and being made fun of by the people, a lot of the people we helped get in office, including the people that have been listed on on some of the now hate hate the cabal, um, it's very disheartening. But, you know, we'll continue on and uh, because we believe Arkansas needs what, Conduit brings to the table. Well, and then we also understand that they're simply doing what they're told to do to be in good graces of the the, the current masters who, who are, in our view, transitional in as far as Republican principles go. We, they're, they're certainly not there, but they may be a step away or two from a day where we will have conservative ideas, free market principles applied in Arkansas, and then that will make this state not 48th in anything anymore. All right. I, mean, I can tell I got, you, I got, anybody I got a, that disagrees with us who are considered 
Republican leadership right now better enjoy where they are today because what we're seeing in the young people, in the generation my children's ages and, and even younger, they're going to have some people that really don't like what's going on, so they better enjoy it today. All right. You all hold. we got to take one last break. We'll be back. I'd like to talk about Linda Collins-Smith and the, and the Sturch uh, uh, primary that's going on and, and get your all's take on it when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Our folks are from, of course, Conduit for Action, conduitforaction.org. Uh, is a great website to go to and read the articles that are there. You know, conventional wisdom says you should delay claiming Social Security to maximize your benefits, but that strategy today can wind up costing you tens of thousands of dollars. There's a lot more to claiming your Social Security benefits than you know. Your decision can trigger an avalanche of taxes, double your Medicare premiums. It could even cost you tens of thousands of dollars, possibly more. Learn how you could avoid this with a free customized Social Security Review from David Lucas of David Lucas Financial right here in North Little Rock. He's a published author. He's hosted the David Lucas Show here on 101.1 The Answer. Personal friend of mine, been on my show. If you've saved $200,000 for retirement, be one of the first 10 callers to schedule your free review now at 501-653-6690. 501-653-6690. We'll finish up our uh, conversation with uh, Brenda and Joe in a moment when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Hey, Safari Pets, 808 West Main in Cabot, place to go when you want to find everything you'll need for taking care of your pet or pets. Phone number there is 501-628-0067. I give you that number because they offer grooming at Safari Pets, but you need to give them a call to set up the time to take Fido or your feet. Do cats allow you to cut their fur off? Does that happen, Russ? Do you? I've never seen a, a cat in a grooming, so I'm going to say it's for dogs. Uh, safari-pet.com on the internet. They got all kinds of dog food, cat food. Yeah, they even have TropiClean with this perfect to put in your dog's water. So he doesn't have stinky breath. We all know about your dog coming up and want to give you a, a lick on the face. And they about knock you over because of their breath. It's all available Safari Pets, 808 West Main in Cabot. Again, that number, 501-628-0067. All right, let's finish up with our friends at Conduit and uh, Brenda and Joe. And got a big Big race going on in the primary up to the north of us, dealing with uh, the Pocahontas area and Batesville and all that area in there. And we've got uh, Linda Collins-Smith, who is an outstanding conservative, trying to fight off a uh, a primary opponent. What uh, what goes on up there? What are we hearing? Well, now, let me tell you that, that we've got a lot of information about that, uh, and, and we've... Uh, uh, you know, been involved in that area quite a bit, but I, I wanted to ask before we got into that: is has there been any calls or texts that have uh, indicated what our agendas yet? Because we really no, need have to know. not. Have, haven't well, heard okay. anything. Go ahead, go ahead, Brenda. <laughs> uh, Linda Collins Smith and James Sturt for that Senate district. Uh, Linda is, uh, you know, there's an article actually, Conduit for Action, posted today on that race, and it does. 
uh, shine some light on uh, issues James Sturch brought up in uh, was it Sunday's paper, an article written about uh, James Sturch walking out on that special election vote, causing it to not pass. He had voted for it, uh, and committee had voted for it on the floor, and then when there was the uh, the call for for the vote that would require the legislators to be in their seat for the vote to be counted, he gets up R S about an R walks out just as they're calling his name, and he's not there for his vote to be counted, and and the vote um, it, the bill did not pass because of that. And also on a a, a gun bill, he explains that um, Linda refusing to vote for the uh, enhanced carry bill showed that she really was not in favor of gun rights. And so it's interesting these articles that we're reading are mostly uh, in context of debates between these legislators. And uh, James's response was, oh, well, uh, it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a perfect bill and therefore she wouldn't vote for it. I voted for the enhanced carry bill. No bill is going to be perfect. And, but, you know, he did not vote for the special election bill because uh, he it now says perfect. he now says you know it would have cost uh, two hundred million dollars or or no I'm, I guess thirty million dollars you know just something and uh, so it's very ironic to see when people are really put under the pressure of answering a specific question what their answers will be so I think that's just like the Bob Ballinger uh, Brian King uh, debates that have there's a lot of uh, write ups on those debates. And then Dan Sullivan and Cole Peck over in Jonesboro area. We're getting to see a lot of uh, back and forth where the candidates do debate, and then to see the the press uh, analyze it and really quote both sides. Well, they, they really don't dig into the weasel words. You know, there's a lot of weasel words these people use, and it is hard for the public to to pay attention and then to go get more information to clarify things in their minds because it's not out there. Uh, you know, in any trustworthy place, and Dave, we, we would just like to be a trustworthy place where you can go to find information. Do we have an agenda? Yes. It's the Republican Party platform implementation. That's it. Mm -hmm. So, it, when you look at the uh, uh, PAC and his attacks that are coming out uh, against Douglas, I mean... This is this goes all way to what I've been talking about. This this unbelievable ugliness. What what the hell is going on over there? Uh, Dan Sullivan is is uh, running against Cole Peck, and Cole Peck is an emergency room physician. He obviously works for St. Bernard's, the big hospital there, that obviously wants to retain the Medicaid expansion, the two billion dollars falling out of the sky on the hospital. Come on, and um, I mean it. it to, he shows up, according to Sunday's newspaper, the, the Jonesboro Sun, and says that Peck shows up with a, a very high stack of papers and says this is all proof that, you know, basically Dan Sullivan killed a five-year-old, you know, smothered him in a van, you know, and says we don't want someone with this kind of character being elected, uh, re-elected. It was just, like, very shocking. Yeah, Dan Sullivan is a good man, and, uh, you know, that's just totally... Yeah, I've had Sullivan on my show several times. I... Where, where, or how is he supposedly proving this, this suffocation that he supposedly did? What I'm seeing, what all of us are seeing, is that the accusation is as good as a conviction in the political arena. Well, it could be projection. Yeah. What people are guilty of, they project onto others so that everybody's confused onto who's guilty, and then 
they're, they're satisfied, the incumbents or the establishment is satisfied with business as usual. I'm, I'm a, uh, you know, sort of comparing it to a trash can fire started by an opponent. You know, oh, look over here, look over here, this is on fire. You know, it has yeah. nothing to do with what's really going on. Yeah, kind of like Jim Henry's property tax issue that he's going to be bringing up any day now. Oh, we should be like Texas. Yeah, it's a trash fire. Look over here because they've already got a plan, believe me. All right. Yeah. That. We are out of time. We'll get together next Monday, the day before the final day of this election season for the primary. You all have a great week. Brenda, Joe, Conduit for Action, conduitforaction.org. Have a great evening. We'll talk to you all later. Coming up, Robert Steinbach here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We're going to talk about the embassy in Jerusalem. That's coming up. Let's move into the uh, final hour of a Monday edition of the Dave Ellswick Show. It has been action-packed, to say the least. Started off with Jan Morgan in the first hour. Second hour, we talked to uh, Mark uh, Lauder about the president's uh, prescription drug uh, bill and his his speech last week on it, presentation on it last week. In the uh, second half hour, the 3 o'clock hour, we had uh, joining us from over in uh, Israel, uh, Greg Roman had some interesting things to say about what was going on over there and how uh, historic it was to see the U.S. Embassy opened in Jerusalem. And then just this last hour, talking to Brenda and Joe from Conduit for Action here on uh, the David Ellswick Show. Excuse me. Coming up this final hour, we put all the uh, whipped cream on top of the pie, so to speak. And Robert uh, Steinbach joins us, legal uh, beagle and law professor from uh, the Bowen School of Law. His opinions, by the way, are his and his alone and do not reflect those of uh, the school or of the school of law. Robert, it's good to have you along with us today. And uh, you've got to be feeling pretty good as, uh, you know, uh, a a Jewish American citizen. You've got to be feeling pretty doggone proud of what's happening in Jerusalem today. I think it's absolutely wonderful, and and I'll extend that background that you aptly referenced. My uncle was in the paratroopers in Israel when Jerusalem was liberated in 1967. Seventy years ago. That's right. That was the unit that that, uh, went in uh, 50 years ago. Oh, yeah, 50, pardon me. That's all right. That was the unit that went in and liberated Jerusalem. Uh, And so we have a personal family history uh, regarding that liberation, and this is the culmination. And frankly, I think the Democrats should be rejoicing today. You know why? Because President Trump has fulfilled the promises of President Obama, and President Clinton, amongst others. So the Democrats should be 100% on board with this historic moment. Well, since you mentioned it, I've got a piece of audio I'd like you to listen to. This is a montage that I have of Clinton, Bush, and Obama, and then President Trump. Jerusalem is still the capital of Israel and must remain an undivided city accessible to all. As soon as I take office, I will begin the process of moving the United States ambassador to the city of Israel as chosen as its capital. I continue to say that uh, Jerusalem will be the capital of Israel, and I have said that 
before and I will say it again. And Jerusalem will remain the capital of Israel and it must remain undivided. We will move the American embassy to the eternal capital of the Jewish people, Jerusalem. Therefore, I have determined that it is time to officially recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. While previous presidents have made this a major campaign promise, they failed to deliver. Today, I am delivering. I've judged this course of action to be in the best interests of the United States of America and the pursuit of peace between Israel and the Palestinians. This is a long overdue step to advance the peace process and to work towards a lasting agreement. All right. So now we can say, Robert, that at least one, uh, we're about 25% here. We got one president out of four who actually did what he said he was going to do about our embassy being in Jerusalem. Well, that's what's so remarkable about this whole thing. Two things. One is that the president said something and did what he said he would do. And moreover, secondly, that the president said something that every prior president in recent modern history has said. And nobody blinked an eye when they said it, notwithstanding that they never followed through. This president followed through, did the right thing. And I don't see how the Democrats or even the sort of conventional, uh, traditional Republicans who who don't have as forward looking an approach um, could complain about President Trump doing what every prior recent modern president said they wanted to do. And a Congress that said what they wanted to do. That's right. it, that was that was very bipartisan when they passed that back in oh, the nineties. It was like ninety five uh, out of a hundred in, in the Senate, if I recall, something around that. It was an overwhelming vote in favor of moving the embassy. Yet somehow it's controversial, and you hear some of these so called pundits. They're just crackpots on television saying, "Well, we didn't leverage anything out of Israel." Wait, le- what? Leverage something out of a our ally? for doing something that we already promised to do that is the right thing to do and is fact. It's fact. Jerusalem is the capital. All we did was say it's true. It's like saying the sky is blue and grass is green. Frankly, it's not even that big a move. And yet every prior modern president has failed to fulfill that simple pledge. Yet President Trump did it. He's right. Uh, and we don't leverage our friends. We don't leverage our allies. That's a disgusting, disgusting notion. But that's the problem with, and you saw it most in the Obama administration. Yeah. And Obama and, go ahead. No, no, you finish the up. Obama administration, the Obama administration was simply not friendly to Israel. It's that simple. And they said, oh, we were the most friendly because we gave them the most military equipment. Well, Look, first of all, the price of military equipment goes up every year. So did you, did you normalize that for the price in different times? Moreover, the support that Israel needs more than 
military support is political support because the attacks against Israel happen at the political level. They happen in the UN. They happen in Europe. Uh, These are not things typically rolling into Israel that is the primary concern, with the big exception of a nuclear-powered or a nuclear-armed, I should say, Iran that would readily bomb Israel with nuclear bombs. And we've already seen it just these past few days where they shot rockets into Israel. Uh, But the political support from its friends, its allies, is what Israel needs and needed. And that was the weakest under Obama in many, many presidencies. Now, here's the real question. We had been told that if this happened, there would be massive uprisings all over the Arab nations. Not so. What does that say? Not only that, what did we see last week? We saw several Arab countries coming out and say that Israel had a right to defend itself against the... um, uh, um, uh, the Iranians. Yeah. So it goes what, to, right? it, what does that tell us, though, Robert? What has changed? Well, it, it, it's a, a reality is setting it. The reality that uh, Israel is not the enemy of Arabs, uh, and Arabs aren't the enemy of Israel. It goes both ways. The, re, the, the reality is that countries that want to live in peace uh, are the enemy of terrorists, and terrorists are the enemy of countries that want to live in peace. And so you, each country needs to decide which camp it's going to line up in. And the, uh, Saudi Arabia and Israel and Jordan uh, and others, no doubt, are lining up in favor of peace and of legitimacy. Uh, and Iran uh, and others are lining up in favor of terrorism. By the way, a colleague uh, uh, texted me as we speak. It was unanimous in the Senate to move the embassy to Israel. Not 95. I got it wrong by 5%. It was unanimous. All right. So 100 votes for. Exactly. All right. And with, with that in mind, the only problem that we've had is the problems with the Palestinians on uh, the Gaza Strip, basically, as we've watched today, and Hamas right. and Hezbollah using uh, their own people as human targets. Oh, sure. Look, these are terrorist organizations. They use terrorist tactics, and they are attacking Israel. Uh, and that's unfortunately uh, been going on for years and years, and it doesn't look like it's going to stop anytime soon. Uh, and you can't stop existing because of terrorists. You can't stop moving forward because of terrorists. And this is the problem with the left, right? We see the same notion across campuses at a much less dangerous level, to be clear, uh, that is claimed by the leftists in the international community today. Well, you can't do this because some crackpot terrorists are going to do something dangerous. I'm sorry. I don't refrain from doing the right thing because some crackpot terrorists are trying to hold us hostage. And we see that same philosophy uh, watered down, though, uh, in the free speech, the anti-free speech movement by the leftists across university campuses now, where they say, well, you can't bring so-and-so to speak on campus because somebody might be offended and then do something illegal. I'm sorry, that's on the guy doing something illegal. That's right. It's on the guy doing something dangerous, not on the person 
exercising his or her free speech. I had a, a gentleman on today from Israel. He had a really good background knowledge of of all that has happened, and I asked him about what is the Palestinian argument that they are supposed to get half of Jerusalem. And it went back to 1919 with the British and the Ottoman Empire, basically. And I said, how can they say they they should have half of, uh, of, of Jerusalem? I go back to King David. It was his city. What the crap are they talking about? Look, I agree with you 100% that the stronger argument for the, the, the Jewish city of Jerusalem uh, is a unified city uh, in control of Israel. But let me say this. Uh, in 1947, the U.N. created two countries, not one that most people are, are being told today. They created the, the country of Israel and the country of Palestine. Neither was a country prior because they were controlled by the British Empire, before that by the Ottoman Empire. Right. Remember, modern countries of today were not what existed in most of history. There were empires, the Roman Empire, the Ottoman Empire. Um, so these were conglomerations. Uh, and there have been Jews in Israel since Jews came to Israel out of Egypt. It's that simple. Yes, many were forced out, then some came back. Yes, there have been Arabs in Israel from more recent times, but still for for centuries there have been Arabs. And in 1947, the UN, with uh, the agreement of what would become Israel, created two states. And Israel said, sure, great. There's the Arab state called Palestine. There's the Jewish state called Israel. No problem. It wasn't Israel that turned down that deal. It was the Arabs that turned down that deal. And for the most part, Israeli governments have said, we're willing to go back to that general notion of two states. However, not everything's on the table. And one thing that's not on the table is that Israel, excuse me, that Jerusalem will ever be a divided city outside the control of Israel. With that said, I bet you, if the Palestinians renounced violence and demonstrated that they were not going to be violent, that Israel would be willing to let uh, the, the, the future Palestinian state have land in Jerusalem to use, but still under the ultimate control of Israel. If they don't like it, well, then that's not, they're not going to get that deal, are they? That's the way it works out. Ultimately, People have to compromise, and that's one thing on the ledger that I think is going to go in favor and has gone in favor of Israel, plain and simple. All right. Bottom line, before I let you go, and we'll uh, finish our conversation about Israel here, and that being, do you know in the Quran it mentions, of course, uh, Jerusalem as a Israeli city? A Jewish I, I city. Yeah. I did not know that. Says it's a Jewish it says it's a Jewish city. With that, I think we made our point. Let's take a break. It's a huge historical day. Did you know that we opened the embassy at the exact moment the paperwork was signed by Truman making Israel a country? Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? That's great. I, I'm sure they I, planned it that way. I, I, I told you that, that my uncle uh, was one of the first to go into Jerusalem and liberate it in 1967. My mother was born in Israel before it was a state and remembers that day that, that, that you just referenced. 
You know, it's amazing to me when you look at that, uh, when they took Jerusalem back, that the way that they did it is they used the exact same attack that David used to take Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? I didn't. I was not aware of that. Yep. Isn't that interesting? Just goes to show, if you don't learn from history, it's bound to repeat right. itself, and it did. All right, with That's that right. said, let's take a break. Robert Steinbach is uh, my friend, and uh, he's my mentor, and he's our guest here on the Dave Ellswick Show in the 5 o'clock hour each Monday. We're going to come back, talk to him. Big Supreme Court ruling today. I'd like to talk to you for just a little bit about, and then I want to talk to you about the left and how they, uh, well, they they self-fulfill their uh, uh, their ability to uh, destroy themselves by thinking they're so much smarter than everybody okay. else. But let's talk about right. legalized gambling now in the states in the Supreme Court. Hey, don't forget about Aero Plumbing, 100% satisfaction guaranteed. If you're not 100% satisfied with the service they've provided, they refund all your money. Their clean house guarantee. They guarantee that if their expert uh, comes in and doesn't clean up after himself and leave your home clean, that they'll send a professional to clean your entire home. And then the no lemon guarantee, they guarantee that the equipment and or fixtures they've provided and installed in your home will perform as they've stated. If any equipment or fixture fails three times in the first year, guess what? They replace that item at no charge to you. That's three of the great guarantees that Aero Plumbing has. You heard Earl last week here on the Dave Ellswick Show. You heard how he talked about hot water and how to make sure you have hot water at your bathroom shower when you turn it on, about having a loop. All of that kind of stuff comes from Earl over at Aero Plumbing. He's built one, if not the best, uh, plumbing businesses here in the state of Arkansas. I personally think it's the best. Let's take a break. We got more coming your way here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back with uh, Robert Steinbach. We got Robert. I'm going to hold on talking to you about legalized gambling here in sure. the states because we're got, we're coming up on the news in about right. 90 seconds here. Right. But uh, when can we expect you back in the wonderful state of Arkansas? You've been in your bunker far too long. You've got to be getting incredibly pale by now. Well, I've always been pale, so it's it's, it's just a lighter <laughs> shade of white, unfortunately. Uh, I'm going to be back. There's a hearing, you know, in my case uh, on June 1st, and I've mentioned before on the air that it's a public hearing before uh, Judge Fox, so anybody wants to come down, I think it's at 10 o'clock in the morning in the Pulaski County Court, downtown Little Rock. Okay. Okay. And then permanently I'll be back in August, early August, and I'm going to be showing up there uh, with my face ready for radio. Yeah, be ready. you got to be ready not only for radio but for uh, Facebook Live because we've got the cameras ready for people to see oh, you. Oh, boy, that's dangerous like, because I, I, I've got the face for radio, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> you just comb your hair, you know, right. get rid of the cow lick, lick your fingers, get it down, you'll be fine. It's no problem. I'll tuck my shirt in before I show up. <laughs> we'll make it all happen when you get back. We'll be happy to see you back here. We've missed you. Uh, that's an understatement. We're going to have to have Same lunch here. as soon as you get back. All right, Same we uh, we got to get to the tr- to the the uh, the news. Let's do that. SRN News is with us. I'm sure that they'll talk to us about 
uh, what's happened in Jerusalem and this whole Supreme Court story. We'll talk about the Supreme Court story when we get back after the news. All right. We continue. Robert uh, Steinbach is here. He is a law professor at the Bowen School of Law. His opinions are his and his alone do not necessarily reflect uh, UALR or the School of Law, the Bowen School of Law. So with that taken care of, let's move on. Big uh, Supreme Court uh, decision today. I could hear a moan all the way here in Little Rock from New York. Uh, The Supreme Court said states have the right to make up their minds whether they will allow uh, legalized sports gambling in their states. Huge decision today. That's right. It's a fundamental precept that the U.S. Constitution is a document that gives limited rights to the federal government. And if the federal government doesn't have a right or power to do something, then it can't do that. Mm-hmm. So how is it that the federal government imposes all of these obligations, etc., on states? Well, there are different clauses in the Constitution that they do that through. So the Commerce Clause says that the federal government can regulate interstate commerce. And that had historically exploded to allow the federal government to do anything they wanted, basically. And more recently, the courts have pulled back on that and said, well, it can't mean that because then the Constitution doesn't mean anything. And so they've pulled back and they've said, you really have to find an avenue in the U.S. Constitution when you want to control what states do. And if you can't find it, we're not going to allow Congress to pass a law, or at least we won't allow that law to to stay, to be constitutional, that is, uh, if there's no basis in the Constitution uh, for that law. And that's what the court said here. There was a federal law that essentially said states can't have sports gambling. And the Supreme Court said, why not? That's up to the states. There's nothing in the federal Constitution that should allow Congress to prohibit that behavior. And so the the Supreme Court correctly kicked it back to the states because, again, the U.S. Constitution is about limited power for the federal government. Remember, at the time that it was created, and it's still a good notion, don't get me wrong, but at the time it was created, the founders were concerned about centralized authority as had existed with the King of England. And so they were always concerned about too much authority in one location. And that's why the federal constitution limits the power of the federal government. All right. So let me just ask you, how will that affect uh, Arkansas uh, with uh, having, of course, Oaklawn and having uh, the dog track out towards Memphis and both of them having uh, games of skill <laughs> at their locations. Right. Do you foresee both of them pushing hard that sports gambling will be allowed here in the state of Arkansas? Probably, right, because those types of organizations generally favor broadening the scope of their business. That's perfectly rational. So I suspect that will be the case, and we'll decide as a state through our legislature and governor whether or not we want to expand that. Because remember, under state law, all of that can be restricted if we want to. It can be restricted, it can be permitted, or or it can be permitted. 
And so that it's the Supreme Court wasn't saying it's a good idea, it's a bad idea. They were saying it's a state's idea, and each state needs to make that decision. Yeah, and I agree with you. Uh, I have the funny feeling that we will probably see it made legal here in the state, especially, and, and maybe they may say, you know, you can only do it over in Oaklawn or the other places, or maybe right. they'll do a few other things. But the bottom line, I read today that this being legalized could be worth upwards to, for the states, $150 billion that uh, they can tax. Oh, it's big money. Gambling is always big money. And when it's legalized gambling, then the state's involved through taxation and states like to get that taxation. That's the reason historically that New Jersey moved into the gambling business. As you know, Atlantic City opened up, uh, I don't know, 50, 40 years ago, something like sure. that. Uh, for big gambling, that is. And they did it because they needed money. And they got a lot of money. And then there was an ebb and flow in terms of how popular Atlantic City was, and that's just business. But gambling is big money for the state. Yeah, I agree with you. All right, I'm going to take one last break early because uh, we're going to spend some time talking about how the lefties think they're so much smarter than us. And by the way, just so you know, uh, let me give you some figures. You know that that blue wave that they said was going to form and, and cause all kinds of problems. Let me give you the uh, unofficial uh, voting numbers that I have here uh, from early voting thus far. Uh, let me mm-hmm. look at here. Let me get it up here. It is right now. Total numbers voting, 43,246 thus far. Not a lot. Uh, Democrats voting early, 15,505, 36%. Republicans voting early, 26,975, 62%. Almost doubling Democrats, Mm -hmm. which tells me more of a ripple than it's a, a tsunami. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, well, we'll see how it plays out, much like you say, but this the claim that there's evidence now of this giant wave simply is not the case. Yeah, there's it's no not. It's not. Yeah. It's not yeah. there. In fact, right. the uh, the last uh, uh, polls I saw showed the Democrats and the Republicans even. Mm-hmm. There's going to mm-hmm. be a brutal, brutal summer is what it sounds like in mm-hmm. early fall mm-hmm. to me. All right, Robert. Cruel, cruel summer. Robert's going to be back with us here. Boy, you're going to be back just at the right time, brother. Uh, bottom line goes, he'll be right back with us. We're going to talk about the left and their arrogance, maybe their downfall. All right, I wanted this last, uh, basically this last 14 minutes to talk about an article that Robert sent me from the New York Times. Now, I'll be honest with you, I very seldom read the New York Times, but I would have read this article. It said, liberals, you're not as smart as you think. And here's what has happened with the liberals. They think they're smarter than everyone. And so they tell everybody how they should live their lives because they know how everybody should live their lives. And this is probably going to be their downfall. Is that not the crux of this article? That's that's three quarters of the crux. And then the remainder is that 
the, they will suffer in politics for the same reason that Hillary suffered, and to some extent, to be clear, Mitt Romney suffered, when they come off as know-it-alls. Oh, that's the basket of deplorables, and that's the 47% of the people who are leeching. You don't tell people that they're lousy people and then expect them to vote for you. You don't tell them that they're stupid and expect them to vote for you. And the problem that the left has is if you look across the political spectrum, people on the right are educated, people on the left are educated, but overall, there's somewhat more education on the left. That doesn't mean they're smarter. It creates a paradox. And that's the paradox that the article is talking about. That is, because the left has more formal education, they tend to think that they're able to come up with orchestrated answers for all of the problems. And this is a classic distinction between socialism and communism, that's one side, and capitalism on the other side. Socialism and communism claim at least, they're really just totalitarian concepts, but they claim at least we are going to reorder society and economics because the smart people here know how to do that. And capitalists say it's not about being smart or being stupid. People exchange goods and services based on their preferences. And no one person or small group or cabal can sit in Washington or elsewhere and dictate a better way for that to happen than you and I deciding what we want, when we want it, and then contacting the vendor, going to the store, getting on Amazon, getting on Walmart.com, and ordering the service or product that we want. And so the capitalists are the ones who say, we may be geniuses. We may not be geniuses, but this is not a question of intelligence. This is a question of free choice and letting individuals make their choices whether or not we think those are the best choices for them. And the people on the left have gotten into this bubble wherein they say, we're so smart, A, we're going to tell you what you want. Wait, huh? That's right. We're going to tell you what you want, and then we're going to dictate how is the best way that you get it, and that usually involves or almost invariably involves centralized control where all the decision-making has to go through one location, be it Washington or Moscow uh, under communism, right, and then back to the locality so that you eventually can get the goods or services that you want. Of course, that could never be efficient, never more efficient than you going out and getting what you want. That's why, look, if you look every day, how many millions of people get in cars and drive to and from work every day? They're making individualized decisions every single day. And for the most part, they work out. And that's because there is no centralized decision-making where, oh, you get up at 8, go wait online, get on this bus, and get into work because we tell you to. And we'll send the bus around to pick you up when we tell you to. Right. People make individual decisions, and that produces freedom and better outcomes. And here's the other thing about this article that I thought was very, very interesting, and I think we all intuitively know this. That if you constantly, and I do mean constantly, and the left is notorious for this, in some cases the right gets into it as well, that you keep saying that the person 
to the right that doesn't believe exactly the way you are believing on the left is an evil person. And all Mm -hmm. you do is say that these people are evil, 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 evil. What happens is the people who are out there that are on neither side of this debate start saying, nobody's that evil. Exactly. And so they start taking a look at what is this evil side saying, and they find out it's not so evil after all. Well, we've talked so many times on your show, Dave, about the ists, uh, that when when the leftists uh, call the conservatives, and by the way, leftists, maybe that's an ist too, but when the leftists call conservatives bad names, racist, misogynist, homophobic, which is not really an ist, but it's like an ist, so they call them all names, and then they expect them to vote for the Dems? That's impossible. Call them deplorables. Uh, Right, exactly. That's a classic example. Now, the beauty of that is it's what Michael Kingsley calls the 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 apology of uh, of Washington D.C. Hillary apologized for telling what she really believes. You know that they were having discussions in their plotting meetings time and time again about how they're all of these deplorables. And some poster got up and said, "Well, I put these people in this basket. These are deplorables. We'll never get their vote, or we or or we have to uh, cabin them off." Well. Do it at your peril. The fact is that you, calling people names is never going to get their votes. And, and more importantly, remember, Obama and Hillary and, and uh, Biden were all against gay marriage up until the moment they weren't. And, of course, uh, <laughs> Biden tricked essentially Obama, into coming in favor publicly of gay marriage. By the way, I've got no problem that they've changed your mind. We're allowed to change our minds. People are allowed to have have one thought, think about it, change your mind. Perfectly fine. But what what is not fine is then you turn around and look at the guy standing behind you and say, oh, you haven't changed your mind? You're a racist. Wait, what? I was you 10 seconds ago. Now you've changed your mind, and I'm the racist? Maybe you're bonkers. That's the problem. The left has moved so quickly into these new areas. Some things they're just patently wrong on. Some things, maybe history will prove them right. Who knows? But regardless of whether or not they're, quote, right or wrong, they should be accepting of other people who have the views that they had 10 minutes ago. Well, it's like when they get into the whole gender fluidity and transgender people and they want to press people and and target perfect example of this and it has cost them dearly that uh, transgender people can use whatever whatever either restroom they want to when in fact people probably said well somebody you know some guy wants to dress up like a woman that's up to him but using my you you using my wife's restroom now you've gone too far. Right, and, and we've t- discussed on your show as well. The civil rights movement, we saw correctly, of course, the elimination of black versus white bathrooms. But we didn't, never saw the elimination of male versus female bathrooms. That's correct. And it's, and it's not an unreasonable position, even if you think it's wrong. It's not an unreasonable position to say that, uh, um, that I want to keep those separate based on some biological differences. 
That is not an unreasonable position, and those on the left who disagree with that position should do so at least modestly. They should say, well, I disagree. However, I understand where you're coming from. I understand that 10 minutes ago I was where you were. I've changed my mind. I would like you to change your mind. But too many on the left say, wait, you're not with me? You're not inside my head? You're not ahead of me? You're a racist. Well, how about Mitt Romney today? Did you hear what he said about Jeffress? No, I did not. Who offered the prayer uh, at the uh, U.S. Embassy. He said that he he was a bigot because he said that Mormons, the Jews, and that and that uh, Muslims can't get into heaven. Well, you know, he's, funny. I, that's because that's he's a belief. Christian. That's right. That's his belief. When I grew up, you know, I'm Jewish. Yeah. And, and we just talked about it earlier on the show. And when I grew up, I had a great friend. I've lost touch with him, but, but not because of any animosity. A great friend who was evangelical. And he would preach to me in a respectful way, mind you. And he would say, only Christians get into heaven. Essentially. I don't remember the wording. I took no offense. That's his belief system. Why should I take offense to that? By the way, my belief system says something else. So be it. But he was trying to share with me his belief system. I took no offense at that at all. Yeah. Now, don't do it in a, you know, don't do it in a finger pointing way. Don't spit at people. And we've talked about this and I know you agree. We need to treat everyone with respect. Doesn't matter religion, doesn't matter what their view of sexuality is. Everybody needs to be treated with respect. But it doesn't mean I have to agree with you, and it doesn't mean you have to agree with me. Well, here's There's the, nothing wrong with here's, that, the key, here's the key, Robert. You yeah. know that I'm a Christian. You know that Absolutely. I believe that Christ said I'm the I'm the you know I'm the way. You can't get to the right. Father except by me. However, right. Though he said that, that doesn't keep us from being friends. Of course not. And, and it, it doesn't make me say you're a bigot or anybody else is a bigot. I'm still exactly. friends with a lot of people that in my my worldview aren't going to make it into heaven. I'm sorry that right. you know to put it that way, but that's exactly what I believe. And it's a perfectly legitimate belief because that's how religion works, by the way. Religion generally has exclusivity. Religion generally says, if you're not a member of this particular group, there's some benefit that's not going to you. Now, in this case, we're talking about heaven. But there's all sorts of different benefits that every religion, I guarantee you, or virtually every, because someone's going to find some exception, virtually every religion says... If you're a member of our group, you get some specific benefit that's exclusive to this group. That's how religion works. So what? Yeah, There's I'm with you. With Doesn't keep us. I'm going to tell you what. Robert and I are the best friends. I'm just telling Absolutely. you that right now. Absolutely. It's true. And I can't Absolutely. wait to see you in August, brother, but I'll have to Same wait here. to talk to you until Monday of next week, and it'll be a day before the primaries are over, and we'll talk about those the next time we get together. Absolutely. God bless. All right. Talk to you later. Robert Steinbach here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Tomorrow, power panels in. We'll have a lot of things to talk about. Don't forget 5 o'clock hour prophecy. What does, you know, this whole thing of moving our embassy to Jerusalem say prophetically? We'll be looking at that when the Bible guys come in at 5 o'clock. Got questions, got to, uh, you know, go to uh Bible guys at SalemLR.com and ask them, and I'll make sure they get to them right here on the Dave Ellswick Show. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.